Welcome back to another edition of the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. With me today is Matthew Lichtenstadter. How you doing, bud? I apologize to Jake and TJ from Point to Point. I told them that I didn't know whether I could get you for a podcast. Didn't realize it was going to happen two days after I recorded with them. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Sorry, guys. You're, you're still awesome, but if I could get Tommy on a podcast at this point, it's something that I have to do. Yeah, my schedule is uh, with my job ever since the new year. The calendar changed. It's uh, gotten a lot more intensive and extending into days and nights and stuff. So it's, it's been harder to pin down. But You listen to that show. It's very much a Y hockey show. Yeah, yeah. It's two and, hours uh, in length. There's a lot of random non sequitur jokes and uh, discussion that goes all over in like 70 different directions with no – rhyme or reason whatsoever but it's still very good and i recommend you listen to that i got a lot of my thoughts out on the panthers at that point since i have tommy here i'm gonna let him take the floor and drive the discussion on everything he wants to talk about and i will add in when we get to points where we need to add in you'll hear a lot of my thoughts on the panthers again but you'll hear what tommy thinks and we'll get into the draft lottery we'll get into some playoff stuff as well so we are sitting here now april 11th I was surprised that on Sunday we didn't see Joel Quenville go into Vinny Viola's office and take off his suit, and there was a flyer sweater on underneath it. I made that joke before. I'll make it again. Uh, we're, here we are. Wait, you thought he was just pumping pumping the Florida for, for the bigger offers? Yes. Just like, ready, I'm ready, boys. Let's get this going type, type deal. I thought, oh, it's the Panthers. They're desperate. What happens when you're desperate? You can be used. Right. I mean, it hey. It actually was you real. Know. It was a real. I did need prom dates, so. Well, listen, I, I wasn't exactly uh, somebody who had what you call game, and this is we with like a two. I mean, you had you had game the same way that like Derek McKenzie has game. Oh boy, man, I'm gonna need to have a think about that. <laughs> but you know, Derek McKenzie is becoming a coach. I don't think I'm actually gonna become a life coach in any way. Certainly, you wouldn't go to me for dating advice. I mean, maybe like a do not major in sports. <laughs> well, no, I majored in journalism, but... Uh, there you go. There's another one. I mean, writing for me, so... I don't know exactly where we were, but... Uh, I was in Burlington, Vermont, when, when I heard the news... Um, that Bugner was fired. I, I once that happened, everything started moving pretty quickly, which was something I didn't expect. And something, if you know, if I'm going to applaud the ownership for for anything, it's not um, that they hired a coach like this. It's they should have done that a while ago. It's that they didn't let this go on. They didn't have to deal with like we were talking about earlier, um, competing with with the Flyers, with uh, Minnesota, if they ended up. Uh, maybe Boost Brujo wouldn't have stayed around if uh, Quinville was still out there. Uh, teams that were still in the playoffs that maybe lose in the first round would would, would lose a coach. Uh, you know, there's – it wouldn't surprise me if the Rangers uh, made an overture for him, if they thought he could get Panarin and, you know, after they, they – we'll talk about later, became second in the draft lottery, maybe that would have changed their fortunes a little bit and, and sped things up for him. Um, you know, it's amazing what happens when your, your willingness to just cut a deal and pay the man 
um, what that can do for a franchise. And it's already benefited. They're already touting. Uh, they had Dan Rosen on Twitter t- touting ticket sales numbers. And, you know, that's because they they didn't get a million-dollar-a-year coach. They didn't get a first-timer. They went out and they got – um, the biggest name on the market, the best coach available, possibly one of the best coaches of all time. And they didn't leave it to chance. They pounced on it. Um, and, and you figured the way they were talking about the end, if, if Quinville wasn't an option, Bugner wasn't going to get fired. And I could, I could imagine how I'd be feeling right now if um, we were hearing, you know, kind of, flip-flopping thoughts on Bob Bugner because he still has the job, but obviously they'd still be looking or, or trying to get a coach or something like that. If they, this extended past the draft, if this extended, um, you know, even just another week or two, um, how uneasy it would be um, for me to think this team's going to turn it around in just one off season. But, you know, like I was saying on Twitter, it's, it's good that they finally – got the coach uh, and they finally stepped up and, and, and um, are starting to put their, their money where their mouth is uh, in more ways than just getting to 90% or 85% of the cap. Um, That's nice to see. And it's, you know, (laughs) I feel very good that if they're willing to, we're hearing uh, George Richards saying that they, probably have something he's heard that something's coming down the pipeline probably around draft with columbus so you're thinking that's probably for someone's rights or both of the bobrovsky and panarin's rights and they're not they're not playing around they want to get this done as quickly as possible send signals to the right people and um focus on the the things that are going to be more challenging which we'll talk about after i'm done this big long spiel uh, in a couple seconds which is finding that defenseman finding that partner for Akblad and possibly possibly more. So that was three plus minutes right there. And for the first time in the history of this podcast, I didn't interrupt. I feel proud of yeah. that. Yeah, well, you said you were just going to lean back and let me talk, so I figured, you know, I'm going well, to just say get the rust of, out all in the beginning. I you did know? say a lot of what I wanted to say on the PTP version of this show, and I don't want to repeat myself all the time but definitely feel free to cut that down in length and I'm probably repeating myself a few yeah, times you, there you were fine you sounded fine don't worry we don't need to edit this podcast as we're recording it i will say this though i talked about I'm happy how... you know like just just to put a button on it i'm very happy very it, and it was needed because i was at the end of the season i was like you know i was like ready for formula one ready for racing ready for something I, that could maybe be crystal uh, palace no, no, something that I could actually watch and like root for somebody who could win, or you know, uh, just eh, anybody. I mean, there's so many. It's it's pretty loose, which is casual, which makes Charles it easy Blair? and fun. No. Yeah, that's a good one. You mean Ferrari Barkov? Ferrari, <laughs> very good. If you don't like F1, you have no idea what I'm talking about, what he's talking about. But I just laughed because I have a passing interest in F1, and that that's very funny. Uh, on the Panthers. I made the joke about this on the PTP show, and I'll say it again. If I've learned anything from watching as much HGTV as I've watched and the flipper flop shows and all the other shows that you watch, if you're going to get your house up to a really good point in resale value, you can't buy the cheap vinyl floor, the crappy countertops, and the bad fixtures. you got to buy the good oak floors. you got to tear down the load-bearing walls. 
you have to do all these things to make the money back at the end of it. And the Panthers now finally And, and where realize, do you put the money? You put it in the kitchen, right? That's the first you put place. Put it in the kitchens and the bathrooms. And if you put it in in a cheap way, you're not going to get the money back. And the Panthers now realize if you invest in Joel Quenville, you will probably make your money back. And when you hear about all the bonuses that are in his contract, if the Panthers win the Stanley Cup, which is where some of those bonuses come in, they've made their money back already. I mean, the building will yeah. actually be full. You will have multiple, multiple, multiples of playoff dates. You'll have far more sponsorship and far more interest in the team. You'll make your money back almost immediately. So that's one thing that the Panthers did that obviously I like. The second thing that they did, the second thing that they did was they did this quietly. And that's the thing that's so anti-Panthers is because throughout the month of March, we heard, well, they're going to make big changes. They're going to do big things. This season stinks and we're going to make noise, right? And you've heard the Panthers say that before, right? Everything they do is noisy and turns out to have nothing much, right? It's like, you know... In, in the, the opposite City, of Teddy Vermont. Roosevelt. Yeah. Well, Teddy Roosevelt, of course, is speak softly and carry a big stick. And the Emerald City Wizard is, uh, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then he's this tiny little man behind a speaker. You know, that's what the Florida Panthers were for many years. Now, here we are in 2019, six years into this ownership. And they might still be losing money, but Vinny Viola realized the only way you're going to make money and the only way you're going to win is by investing. You can't do it on the cheap, particularly in the Atlantic division. And he had a plan and they executed that plan quietly. That's the other thing. Like this apparently happened in a matter of days, even though it turns out that of course the flyers were interested, other teams were interested, but they tied this up in a matter of a couple of days. And yeah, Thursday through Saturday or something like that. And they announced it on Monday. That's so anti Panthers. I can't even, We've talked yeah. so often about, you know, the process drags out and not even that that, but it's just it's noisy. It's they talk about it. But here they talked it, they backed it up and they did it without anybody else noticing. And when other teams caught wind of it, they were way too late in in the process and the Panthers had it done already. And that is something that is critically important if you're going to do all of the things that they need to do, not just Bobrovsky and Panarin. And I still have my thoughts on Sergei Bobrovsky that I've said and I will continue to say. But especially with Panarin, especially with other big moves, you have to execute a plan. And they executed a plan. And for that, they let deserve me, credit. Let me – I just want to talk before we get too far away from, you know, the contract and everything. There's a, a few things. Uh, the first year, uh, I think – I've seen different reports. I've seen, you know, Chicago is going to pick up 70%. I don't think those that's accurate. I think that's been a misrepresentation. I think, I think they're, I think, yeah, I think, I think they're picking up like the remaining like one point. And I think, and I think it's like 1.75 million, but I think that is Chicago's keeping that. Cause I'd feel like speaking of kitchens, my kitchen is coming over to coach the D most likely, you know, that's probably going to happen. And Deneen's probably coming back to coach the forwards. Uh, and that's probably 1.75 or, you know, close to that in, in added salary that's coming off Chicago's books. Um, Cause you know, so Florida is taking a, a lot of potential bo- uh, dead money off Chicago's payroll. So what Chicago is really withholding, for, for one year is, you know, kind of expected or, or isn't that bad um, as, as much as some of the reports make it out to be. And if I'm saying that, then, you know, it's probably true. This is true. And I think what George said is, is right. And the bonuses, of course, his base salary, I right. think is 5.25 next year, but the bonuses could raise it. And as I said, they stay. 
once you hit a bonus level, it stays for yeah, the rest of the contract. Yeah, but at that point, as I said, you've made your money already if you've won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's neat there. neat that they uh, that it stays. Um, back to Mike Kitchen. He's a guy that Florida has been in, uh, on the Florida bench before, um, and a guy who's been rumored, especially during the the Chicago dynasty years, to take over at a head coach somewhere. Um, and I think. Anytime you can get somebody who's worked the D bench through long series in the playoffs uh, against matchups, against top end grinding um, matchups um, that, you know, Chicago had to deal with in some of those playoff runs, you can see where instantly it's, it's a step up from Capuano Um, and the the one thing I thought we were going to be worrying about all offseason is who's going to be doing strategy, who's going to be doing X, Y, and Z on the back end and what that's going to look like. We have a pretty good idea of what that or where the foundation of, of our new D system is going to come from, and that's the Chicago dynasty, you know, Chicago prime D system. And um, you, you can't be happier. Uh, if if you've watched any of this past season and, and the D out there uh, with what's probably going to transpire. And to top it all off, you, I've heard Joel Quenville, I think it was on TSN or Sportsnet or something, already talking about how Aaron Eckblad needs to get bigger, like needs to get better fitness, needs to get much better at skating at a, you know agility side to side. And um, that's something I've been waiting for for a coach or something Florida to publicly say. I know usually it's just, you know, we like to talk about, you know, Aaron Eckblad eating cookies and Trocheck and Huberto having candy snack cereals or whatever. Um, but, you know, it's time to get uh, lean, mean, and, and win a cup here. That's definitely true. And, I mean, you get Kevin, De- again, Kevin Deneen returning to Florida too is just an odd one because that's the first coach that Dale Talon hired. And, you know, he took a team that was, <laughs> again, all a bunch of, free agents that they had to sign to make the cap floor he took them to the playoffs it was a fluky year but that team was good offensively even if they had some defensive issues i mean the power play is not going to be as good as it was but as i mentioned i'm not so sure i'm not too sure i mean i think it's it's driven a lot by talent that's what i was about um, to say like the the, the thing that i and we'll talk about, about mcfarland yeah the thing i've heard about so. with paul mcfarland and, and if you listen to our Corey snyder podcast a couple months ago when he talked about the passing data for the Panthers on the power play to that point that he had tracked. I asked him, it was like, is there anything special about it? Is there anything you notice? And he was like, it's kind of average everywhere. So what I'm paraphrasing what he said, obviously. So that led me to believe that while Paul McFarland could get the great players into the best positions, that was just really good players being really good players more than anything else. And that top power play unit, I mean, it's got five superstars on it. Yeah, and the, but you know there were there were definitely issues with, you know Barkov's placement, Huberto not being on the power play well enough, and you know if you're talking about Barkov and Huberto not being used well in the power play one, obviously that needs to change. And two, uh, if it does change, you're expecting a boost there. So if there is a drop off from McFarland to Deneen, you're hoping that the use of 16 and 11 more on that power play one, getting more touches. Because all they um, set up for was like Hoffman one timers, basically. And yeah, from Yandel, from you know that that on the diagonal down pass, which you know I don't I, I don't know. I expect to see a lot more cross 
you know, it, Royal Road passing, stuff like that. You know what's funny is, you know, it's obvious now thinking about it, if if that's what they were just kind of throwing at the power play for most of the year, um, it's no wonder they gave up so many shorthanded goals when they had one break in, um, one uh, one play really, and it's a diagonal pass uh, up high in the zone, uh, you know, with with Keith Yandel standing flat foot, you know, so it's... It's it, no, it, no surprise. We have a, the thing is now, as opposed to having a first-year head coach, when you don't know what they're going to do, because we didn't really know what Bob Bugner was going to do, we quickly found out. Right. We, we have, as you said, a template of what the Panthers are going to look like, and they're going to look like the best approximation of Dynasty Blackhawks as you can get. They're going to be different, obviously, because it's different personnel. and the it's, way a, it's a more developed game. And, it, yeah, and, and it's also a different league than when that was developed, obviously. It won three Stanley Cups. It took them to another conference final. So it's obvious that that is going to be something that we see. I think Joel Quenville's a good enough coach to where he realizes it will be tweaked. You can't play exactly the same way because the game's faster than it used to be. But I think that is the basis from which we will see how the Panthers play. And as I said, there's a lot of personnel issues, so coaching is not going to fix everything. But the other thing that I want to talk with you about, and you've been paying attention as much to some of this media coverage as I have, the talk from the Panthers bubble, which is tiny, and the hockey bubble, which is obviously not huge, but it's bigger, there's a lot more defending of Bob Bugner there. Obviously, they might know him, and I don't think he's a bad human being than there obviously was in the little Panther bubble. Because I think, we, we've talked a lot of things about Panthers fans on this show, but I think there was almost unanimous agreement by the end of the season about Boog Dirty fired, right? Yeah, I mean, it, and it was just the lack of change. I mean, there was no, he, at the end of the season, he was saying like, you know, I, I, I have ideas of how we can improve. So it was just like, all right, in the last 48 hours or the last 24 hours from, you know, the end of the season to when you gave that quote, you, you figured out what you, you could do to to have a better start of the year and everything. But you didn't put anything into practice over the course of 82 games and how many months. It just, you know, there was, there seemed to be whether he couldn't think of anything or what everything he thought of was shot down. So they didn't make any changes or, or, you know, what have you, um, you know, it seemed like nothing was changing if he was going to be the coach. So why continue that way? It seemed the only way, reason he was going to stay is if they couldn't find, um, you know, an experienced guy. I don't know if, you know, if, um, who who else would have they considered if Quinville went off the market? If you know a guy like Alain Vigneault and Mark Crawford would have been enough to entice them, or it would have had to been someone like Boudreaux or getting Daryl Sutter to come. You know, like what would it have taken to get rid of Bugner after that? I don't know, but uh, it's nice that not have to worry about you know strategies or anything. We can just pretty much wait for training camp and then kind of see talk about it then. It's it's just um, you know nice to not it'll, it'll come as it may you know it'll come you know they they still keep talking about you know they have to fill out the coaches and all that stuff it seems like it, they're in no rush to really make it formal or anything and things could obviously change and it could be some new name so we'll, we'll wait and see but um, I think that the the interesting thing about what you mentioned there is it certainly looked like. They were going to keep him if they didn't get Quenville. I think they were only going after him. 
there was no search. It was just him, which, I mean, let's be honest. I didn't want Alan Vino. I don't think he's good. I didn't really want Tom McClellan. I don't think he's good either, but Tom McClellan's better. And I'd like to think more of him as Sharks Tom McClellan than Edmonton Todd McClellan because, you know, Edmonton's a snake pit where no one succeeds. Right. Uh, I think, the, as I said, Boudreaux was somebody we agreed upon. If the Wild fired him, you had to go after him. He was the second-best coach available. And we also know that as much as I like some of these young coaches out there, DJ Smith, Sheldon Keefe, you know, any number of names, they couldn't reasonably go after somebody like that again. They, they couldn't. It was either you stick with Boogner or you get the best coach available. Right. And they got the best coach available, and that's great. That's what they did. Um, as much as, you know, we would like the Panthers to try a really interesting young head coach, they've tried that, and it hasn't worked. Three out of the four times, they've done it with DeBoer. He got better when he left Florida. Deneen, he won, what, a gold medal with the women at 2014 in Sochi, and he was one of Joel Quenville's assistants. Gallant, I mean, he had good times in Florida, but he's obviously doing better in Vegas. And Bugner, I mean, no matter what Logan Couture says, which I found interesting. Uh, I mean, again, he was an assistant coach. It's fine. I'm okay with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Assistant coach on a, on a very veteran playoff team uh, where the defense was good, you know, when he was put in that place. So yes, and I'm sure I, we would like him in that situation as well. Yeah, we'd be fine with that. And I think that if he gets another head coaching job, he'll do a lot better. Because you, you do a better job in the second time you do it. That just happens yeah. naturally in this sport. Uh, and it's like all of them, you, you it's hard to overcome what is structurally already there in Florida. And if you can't overcome it like Gallant did, and the difference between Deneen's good team and Gallant's good team is that Gallant's good team was structurally pretty sound, even though it had problems. Like, it was a, a pretty good team five-on-five. Five. It did a lot of good things defensively. And that playoff series loss was just all bad luck after the entire regular season being mostly good luck. And you can see that he's established that system again in Vegas and the Golden Knights are a team that I picked to go to the Stanley Cup final, even though they look like crap last night. So that's... that's Nikita what Gusov is coming. So. Yeah, I know. Isn't that like, I mean, that's your... That's insane. Like, you could have the best forward group in the league. I'm sure somebody will still be like, oh, Riley Smith's better. How could how could Florida get rid of those two or something stupid? Yeah, but... I know people still saying expansion draft things. And um, be... Evgeny Dadanoff and Mike Hoffman are better than Riley Smith and Jonathan Marshall. So I'm not... It took two years to get that. I mean, Evgeny not... Dadanoff had a better season than both of them did last year. And Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau on the twenty seventh. Okay, I didn't mean to get you wound up. I didn't well, mean you know, to get you, you wound know up again. Because I've said it before on this show. Yeah. But if you put uh, Riley Smith and Marcheseau on the 2017-18 Panthers, they yeah, and they're all playoffs. and they're all tradable, and they can all get off his team and get somebody else back in, and it'll be fine. Because I mean, um, you kind of find a similar guy like that in Frank Vetrano. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Very few players are irreplaceable. What do you want to? Um, moving moving on to. Well, I do like, want to say one uh, thing about about Quenville and the the way that it's being perceived right now in the marketplace. And just I said it on the other show, and I want to say it again. This is a chance for Vinny Viola and the Panthers to completely own South Florida because all the other teams in South Florida are bad, or tanking, or both. Right. And for that, and... if you're good next year doesn't matter what happens you're going to be the best team in south florida and you can dominate the market you can make barkoff a superstar you can you have a coach that immediately comes with cachet because the first thing people are going to mention is three-time stanley cup champion joel quenville and that offers a legitimacy in the dressing room and you and i both talked about you know what is barkoff thinking right now 
I can't imagine he wasn't furious at the end of last season, knowing that, like, what else can I do to be on a good team? Now he's got Joel Clanville, and he's probably thinking, we're going to be good now, and I feel like I can stay here and win. You know, he's not going to say what Connor McDavid says because he's a different kind of person, but you know he's thinking it. Cause he's yeah, and there was an, uh, and there was Huberto and Trocheck already saying that. So I mean, he's was... never looked more frustrated, and Trocheck said it too. And I mean, Vincent Trocheck had a bad year, but he he is, I think, one of the more outspoken Panthers. And it's the same thing with Huberto too, because it's like you can't reasonably ask eleven and sixteen to do more than they've already done, and they had career years, were even better than they were the year before, and the Panthers somehow were worse. But now that you have Joel Quenville, you've got the respect of those players, and they're going to say, you know what, we can win here. And we will be good here. That's fantastic to see. And also, you can see just the legitimacy among the alumni who were there, the legitimacy among the media. They're taking the Panthers seriously. And if you want to be competitive in the division, not just in your own marketplace, I mean, hiring Joel Clenville means Boston's got a scheme against him four times a year. Toronto's got a scheme against him four times a year. Tampa's got a scheme against him four times a year. That's legitimacy that is something the Panthers haven't really had. And you know the whole mindset that the Panthers seemingly came in with for many years was the mindset of, oh, we're going to be good. It's going to happen. We're too good not to be. Well, now Joe Quenville comes in. It's like, you're going to be good. Follow me and you we're going to be good. There are no excuses anymore. That's Hopefully. A, that's a I mean, you know, we still got to get a, a starting goal. We still got to do I'm, We'll get the to the defense. personnel in a second. But it's just that with Joe Quenville – there are none of those baked-in Florida Panthers excuses anymore, from ownership to management to the play. Well, we'll see. Players. I mean, they could take Joel Quinville as a built-in excuse. Oh, we don't have to go get this. We don't have to go get this because we got like Joel Quinville. Well, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to keep pumping them up and and give them any ideas. I mean, uh, I mean at this point, you know, there's I only think... so many times we can tell them how great they are for making the obvious decision and getting Joel Quinville. I, I mean, at this point, it was kind of like, what would if, if now Talon has a purpose to me, Talon can stay around because he has a purpose to me, but I was at the point where if Dale Talon couldn't get Joel Quinville, there would be no purpose in keeping him. Unless the um, purpose was making sure that certain other people in the Panthers organization did not become general manager. I mean, at that point, I just would, you know, I was getting to the point where if we can't get a good coach, if we can't do certain things, it's maybe time to just let it all blow up anyway. You so. would have gone to the Seattle Easter eggs. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, crack into, it. let's now go into personnel things. Uh, well, I, I, I think with, you know, forwards, the only, well, okay. It's, that's it's all pretty Panarin. much decided. That's all like all the forwards are pretty much decided besides the Panarin Hoffman question, which I think will sort itself out. And I think there's needs to be, I mean, I don't want to tell anyone what to think or, or, or how to fan or whatever, but I think there needs to be less pushback against the idea of actually getting Panarin. Um, look at some of these teams that you have to beat to get to a Stanley Cup, either in the Western Conference, um, you know, the juggernauts there, or the juggernauts in the East. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to have three lines that have the ability to score enough to win you a series, because. Um, Two lines could go cold, and you need to have whether it's a third line or something. You know, Phil Castle won a Stanley Cup on the third line. You know, like there are some things you have to, um, you have to be so so deep at at the forward position to make sure that you don't stop scoring in any game in any period. 
um, because it's it's still, so tight. The defense is so tight, five on five, and you can't rely on power Panthers plays. Are too top heavy still. Right, and you know you need Panarin to help you push somebody down. Like maybe put Trocheck at at three C to help you even that out, or maybe put Hoffman on the third line. Yeah, you know, like there there might be ways to have three lines that you can face all three lines of you know Toronto for seven games and and beat them handedly maybe even beat them in five games so you're rested for the next next series because you know that could just be the first round matchup next year or or two years from now with the playoffs format is like it it sucks but you got to deal with it and they could be yeah I don't really have a problem with it I mean I I mean I understand why there are problems with it and I completely get that, but you're not changed. They're not changing it. So for me, complaining about yeah. it is silly. until they just go to a straight one through eight, they're really not gonna. There's always gonna be problems. So I would, I would like they had it one v eight and reseeded, which was fine. Like that was good. I know why they went to the divisions because they wanted the the rivalry matchups. And again, I get that. I'd lo- I want to see the Lightning and Panthers play in the playoffs, but again, yeah. In terms of Panarin, I'm going after him more than Abrowski, 100%. Because even if you don't like break up the lines in that way, imagine a first line, as I said before, of Huberto, Barkoff, and Panarin. Is that not the best line in hockey? Yeah, I mean, if, if when it would come to it to put them together, but I mean, I think you'd start the season with something a little more spread out and. Yeah, because you can kind of work, 11, work 60, different 63, options. And you can put Panarin with Trocheck yeah. and I mean, like next year it's gonna be completely different. Um and even though they're gonna wanna start out, you know, really well and winning a lot of games at the beginning of the year, it's also Coach Q's gonna wanna do a lot of things. He's gonna wanna um, try out a lot of different combinations and, and get a sense for who plays better with who and, and all of this stuff. So you're going to have to be a little patient and you're just going to have to trust that he's working through things and he's everything he's doing is a purpose and it's probably going to pay off in some um, some time frame. As opposed to Bob uh, Uter, whose line combinations existed for the sake of, well, we're throwing it at the wall. Right. And, and yeah, so and, we'll... And I, I think that there are things that they can do and it's obvious that there's going to be different personnel in the forwards just because next year Owen Tippett's probably going to be on the NHL but I mean I that's the thing I I think it's probably you know that's not really so much the issue because depending on how the lineup shakes out whether Tippett's in the AHL Tippett's traded Tippett's you know that'll kind of sort itself out depending on who you get what D you need to get Um, I think it's probably a little too early to worry about it it's more just well, it's also giving players getting Panarin, getting Panarin in there, um, and then taking it from there with the forward group. And until you know what Panarin is or where Panarin is or isn't going, um, it, it, there's really nothing to talk about the forwards because, I mean, they're fine. You have enough young guys. You well, have as long as they're used, young grinding guys, badly. and like you know. But that's the thing with with the bench that's coming in you have to trust at least for through the first 20 so games of the season that they will be used and you know that it will um it will be done right and they have enough that they can make the playoffs because they'll have enough you know they'll have 10 forwards that are that are really good and then they'll have enough 
you know, even if it's Troy Brower and Riley Sheehan and Jay's Howard Luck, you know, in the fourth line, that's well, that'll be decent enough to Jace get Howard there. Luck's not wherever you know Troy Brower but that's, is. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like you know, even if he goes with you know these gritty guys or whatever, like you know, a veteran coach and Coach Q is sometimes known for doing, that's it's not really going to matter. Um, at, at that level because they actually have a coach now and you know it's a different talent level um, and maybe it does mean Tippett's in the AHL what is really more important to focus on now is one that they still need a guy like Panarin um, spending the money on a guy like Panarin is not really a risk um, and not really something to worry about. And if you can't spend this money on Panarin and make it work with Barkov and Huberto down the line, it's not because of how much money you gave to Panarin, Barkov, or Huberto. It's because of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can't add Panarin, that's that's going to be an issue because I, I think you need – you're going for it. Florida's making the same one that they're going for it, and they need that top-end right winger. Um, and they don't have it. They have maybe it in the prospect wings. Um, you they're can say... This year. Hmm? But they're not necessarily going to be there this year, as much as I... Right, but, like, I mean, but they need that. They need a top-end right winger. Um, they could get by without it, but if you want to go to the next level, you get somebody like that. And that, but that, 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 that see, you can't get. There is no getting by anymore with a statement like Coach Quenville. There's no getting by. It's get everything has to get to the next level. Everything has to get to the level, like not just playoff level, but playoff contender level, because that's the level that Quinville needs. That Quinville necessitates. He's coming in with, you know, controls over the roster in his agreement in his contract. He's coming in with the expectation that him and Talon are going to work together to build a roster that's going to compete from game one for, for a Stanley cup next year. And that might mean some things that Florida Panthers fans aren't comfortable with. Um, you know, but, but I think least, you're going to have to get comfortable with is, What you're saying is, and it's going to be an interesting dynamic next year is that you might see players you don't like, and we don't like, but there's a reasoning for it now as opposed to, you know, Troy Brower getting all those minutes for Bob Bugner because, I don't know, insert explanation here. You know, well, it's, it's, I it's, dislike that. Well, I mean, it's just, you can't, that's not like, again, this is just, that hasn't happened yet. And, and so, like, we can't, we can't really spend time talking about it. Like, what is important to talk about, if we're going to talk anything about Fords, is that, you know, getting Panarin is an actual priority. It's not just something that's nice to have. It's not something, well, if it falls in the right price range, it's if you can get him for $10 million, a cap hit for eight years signed, you do it. And, you know, that means getting it assigned in trade from Columbus. It's the only way you can get the eight years now. Um, and that means you have to trade something to Columbus to get him. And, that's you know, that's extra draft picks. But, you know, that's. I'm not saying that it, it needs to happen. That's the only way. But, you know, they need to add that type of talent into their offensive group still. And, you know, I'm not saying 
they have to trade Hoffman, but it's probably behoove them to keep Mike Hoffman in, in the lineup as well and figure out how to get the defenseman without him, which may mean giving up Mike Matheson, which may mean giving up Owen Tippett, which may mean giving up the 13th overall or a combination of all of that. Um, and just being okay with it, being okay with, you know, Dennis Malgin, as much as I love him and as much as I think he should be in the top 12 next year, um, he might be on the outside looking in and he might be a trade chip, um, his rights at least, because he's an RFA. Um, it's possible, but I and think just that... it's all gonna contrib- it's all gonna contribute to an offense that scores enough goals to get the job done, and it's about the other stuff. It's it's about getting that defense, and that's really and just making sure you hit at the draft and and you do what you've been doing at the draft. You don't have to try to reinvent the wheel anymore. Just try to con- keep that consistency of um, getting. Uh, a, t- a good talent in the first round and then making what you can of, of the other rounds and other picks and getting squeezing value out there um, as best you can. So let's go into defense now and let's talk about the defense score. I try to talk about it a little bit with the PTP guys and we try to talk about the defensemen. They are, they're going to go after one. George Richard said trade. And that's where I think it's coming in. Like you could still sign somebody like Anton. That's a good Coleman. sign. It's a good sign that they say trade because you know, because signing Jake Gardner is not exactly the best idea. Well, I mean, you have you have a billion at, Jake Gardners, like well, yeah, you have you have Jake Gardner esque type players and Ekblad, Matheson, when Matheson, which is also player. bad. So don't do that. Yeah, and but, and but, but but let's go over the defensemen that you you mentioned on a previous show, and I mean, this is why I still think Mike Hoffman is tradable, and why even if in a situation where you might have to give him up to get that defenseman, I think you do it because every team in the league can take on that contract. Every team in the league can take on the cap hit and every team in the league wants a scorer like that. And if you do, you've got a lot of teams out there that want scoring that have surplus of young defensemen that you can trade. Everybody looks at Carolina and we mentioned, you mentioned Brett Pesci. If that's something you do, you do it because Brett Pesci is a different kind of defenseman. And if you put him with Aaron Eckblad in a hypothetical situation, Aaron Eckblad can do Aaron Eckblad things. Well, he doesn't have to worry about covering for the mistakes of his defense partner, which has been the problem ever since Brian Campbell left. Because Brian right. Campbell did all the things. He got the puck out, and he moved the puck, and he let Aaron Eckblad do what he does. And Campbell sat back and took care of the other stuff. And that's why Aaron Eckblad in his early career was so good. Then you put him with Keith Yandel or Mike Matheson, somebody who's like him. And he has to cover for those mistakes because he's better defensively than the other two. And that means he can't be Aaron Ekblad and how we think he can be. So if you put him with that kind of defenseman, or if you put Keith Yandel with that kind of defenseman, you've balanced your deep pairs. You give opposing coaches a different look. You give opposing players a different look. And it's more balanced. And Brett Pesci is one of those guys. And I know you mentioned him. There are plenty of yeah. others out there that, that you can that, mention that's... too. So there, there's some challenges here. I mean, I think I, I did a poll from the Y Hockey thing about, um, uh, you know, what kind of D they should get. 35% said go big money, trade assets to get a D. 35% get a cost-effective second pair defenseman. 23% uh, early 20s emerging D. And then 7 keep get an internal partner for uh, Ekblad and get a new partner for Yandel instead. So... You know, it's yeah. Uh, 
Ekblad's partner is, is really important, but there, there's a challenge. And the first challenge is handedness. This is Coach Quinville, second winningest coach in the NHL history. I have yet to see many successful or unsuccessful even NHL coaches who put a right-handed defenseman on the left side of the ice on the top four pair. Just you don't see it. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm for or against it. I think my personal opinions on handedness with D as a former righty who played the left-handed side, um, I, I I don't understand it, but you know, I'm not an NHL coach or anything. And I've never played this the game at the NHL level and NHL speed, obviously. So, but so that's something. It, Brett Pesci is a right-handed defenseman. Jacob Truba is a right-handed defenseman. Eric Carlson is a right-handed defenseman. Anton Strowman's a right-handed defenseman. Brandon Carlo is a right-handed defenseman. You know, these guys that I've seen names. So that would just be helping Keith Yandel, which I'm all about. Or they would have to put Ekblad on the left-hand side, which I've been a proponent of, but we'd have to, you know, that's something Quenville is going to have to do, which I don't think Quenville or Mike Hitchens has really the desire to do that. Um, but hopefully I'm proving wrong. So it's probably a lefty they need for Ekblad. And I'm, you know, I'm fine with getting two top four defensemen, but then that's the challenge. If you want, if you want some of these righties out here, you got to get a lefty too on the off chance that it doesn't work out, that Ekblad doesn't make it as a lefty or the guy you bring in doesn't make it as a lefty with Ekblad. Um, you can't then be going, okay, let's go back to Matheson. Let's put Uyghur up there. Um, you know, you want to get this right in the off season. Um, so if there are so, lefty defensemen out there that you're, you, you, if you had names, if you were going after those, I, names. yeah. Uh, I think Nikita Zadorov is, is a realistic name out there. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that would work with Ekblad unless Ekblad gets really good, uh, agility and foot footwork in the off off season um because they both have issues pivoting and and you know exploding and, and you know side to side a little bit um obviously the guy that i think i hold up as the model i keep saying is essa lindell uh, that's a guy that, that's um, the or, guy you know what it would be i mean dallas always to, use scoring but i think they're gonna find it really hard to get essa lindell out of dallas right but like uh that's that's an RFA and maybe you can apply some pressure and maybe work some deal a deal or something. Will Butcher is another guy. That uh, everything. Let's Joel Edmondson is a lefty that could maybe work. That's more of the lower end of the guys I've mentioned, obviously. Um, well, what do you think? Those are just the Will Butcher question. Don't you think he's a? I mean, he's not a puck rusher. He's he is more of a puck mover, but. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of Devils hockey, and let's be honest, I don't think many Devils fans have. Maybe we will now because they're probably getting Jack Hughes, but don't you think he's a little bit, you know, I don't know how good defensively he is. He's obviously good offensively, but... Well, I mean, you... He is more of a passer than he is a rusher of a, of it's, a it's kind of like the Brian Campbell. Why did Brian Campbell work, but some of these other guys, like Keith Yandel, doesn't work, and you know Brian Campbell and Keith Yandel, uh, Brian Campbell and Keith Yandel, well, that's kind of... That's a tongue twister. Um, you know, they both had similar styles. So what's the difference? And the difference is how they are with the partners. And, and that's a little bit of the hockey IQ 
and a little bit being a better teammate uh, in the sense of, you know, Brian Campbell was always behind Ekblad when Ekblad had the puck. So he was always in a safe, easy to pass to spot, you know, in the right position, talking, calling for the puck. Yandel sometimes is 15 feet up ice, you know, with two opposite jerseys in between him and Ekblad. He's not really a help. And that's the same issue that we saw Matheson have with the no, Pissick pair. As we talked about. And that, yeah, like and they such a difference but between puck rushers and puck. There's members. there's puck rushers that under that understand that if if I don't actually have the puck, I don't need to be up ice. I have to get back and be behind my partner, so then I can get the puck, then rush up ice. And you know that's the that other level of intelligence. Keith Yandel has so much talent, but he you know where he he'd be a top left-handed defenseman in the league if he had a little bit more hockey IQ, had a little bit more of discipline and focus um on you know the the other end of his job um as and you know just being the guy who gets it right and you know blocks. he he eats off of his talent level um and create he has the creative offensive awareness you know hockey iq he's not he's not you know bereft of it but um he doesn't have the type of hockey IQ that the Panthers really need. And that, you know, the yin and the yang that pairs with the Yandels, that pairs with the Ekblad. Yeah, that's and what we, we, I can't say enough how important it is. You get somebody that balances what they do an, really well. Another Dallas Stars defensive, Mira Heiskanen. I mean, that's We're who... We're not getting him, but if you could get a Right, but that's, that's who... How that's good who is he? You have to get, good. That's how you have to get Kekalainen and the PSC guys in a room and you, you give them... Or, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I know they. I bet they listen to this show. I bet they wouldn't like that. Well, I mean, it's. I, would love I wasn't if they like, listened to the show. By the way, that would be spectacular. I just have marble mouth, and you know, I'm just going to call it PCS, <laughs> PSCESCP, whatever the hell you want. But you know, get you know the, those guys and Kekalina and some of the scouts in a room, and just have them make the list for 13th overall in the second round and some of the other draft picks and just be like, give us a list of defensemen that you think are the closest thing to a Miro Heiskanen type defenseman out there on, on this draft. What can we go and get that's free, that's out there for us to just go get with a draft pick or, or a free contract? Yeah. And, you know, I, I was kind of talking about this earlier, but, you know, I'm kind of tired of the USA hockey defensemen. They, they don't, you know... The issue with Max Gilden, he has a ton of talent. The points are okay at UNH and everything, but does he have the intelligence to play at the NHL level to, to process the game that quickly to be on the defensive end and not give up that many um, turnovers and, and goals against? Uh, and that's still left to be said. And then, you know, I think that's kind of USA hockey with – the junior league they're at, and we get into the draft, we can talk more well, about we'll get that. We'll to the draft in a second when we talk about but, what they're you know, when the USA Hockey, they always go for the high talent, high athleticism um, defenders, which is, you know, is fine. I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about that, but that's not necessarily who's going to be the best in the NHL after they finish developing, after, you know, everybody from that draft class kind of sharpened all of their tools and you know, you're looking around, you're like, all right, some of those guys are maybe the best. Um, but if, you know, you keep going back to that, well, you keep getting the same type of defensemen who, you know, are high skilled, high athleticism, but they have warts, their games. They have um, some things that maybe you can't teach um, or you can't 
correct enough to get the most out of them that kind of would match their athleticism or match their talent level. So and, you know, maybe we're seeing that with Mikoshin and Matheson and Inamoto and Gildan. Maybe we should switch it up a bit. So if there's any other defenseman in the NHL, then, if you were given the chance to make the trade to get any defenseman that you think would be the best balance for either Ekblad or Yandel, what's that defenseman? Who is that defenseman? What does that, that deal look like to you? Hampus Lindholm. I'm not sure how. I mean, that's a cap hit that works. I mean, I think it's like high fours or low fives or something. Um, he's a left-handed D. He can definitely play on the first pairing. He's definitely good in the neutral zone and defensive zone without the puck. He's also good with the puck. He can make plays. He can. Um, he won't let down these high-talent forwards if they pass him the puck or if they need him to bang it to bang home a rebound or something he can he can definitely do that he can keep up with these guys um and i think he would fit ekblad really well anaheim is definitely a team that's willing to make a deal bob murray and dale town have made deals before um you know anaheim's definitely i think a team that dale town calls first when he makes moves um, and i and i would Wonder if, you know, Anaheim feels the same way about Dale Town and Florida when they have to make moves. They have a lot of defensemen. They'd probably be willing to move a defenseman. And if um, they could use scoring, I mean, they could use some centers. I think that's the issue. So what what center are you going to give to get um, to get him? Are you willing to give up Trocek? Are you willing to give up Borgstrom to get the def- type of defenseman we need? Some people may say yes. Some people may say no. I don't know where I lie. Depending I, I on be that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, that, that could be the case. It's definitely a fair argument, and I definitely have time for that argument. Um, I, I think but I think if you could... Montour, I think they're not going to be as willing to trade. They have a lot of... They have a lot of defensemen, and they have a lot of cap um, issues they got to sort out. So if you can, if you can help them along, um, I think they'll be fine uh, with moving a guy like Lindholm again. If you're, if, if you you're giving them the Lindholm, obviously you kind of do it, and you and and, and right. if it's and a I, reasonable deal. Yeah, and I think you know Lindholm for Hoffman is is a pretty good foundation to build from. Um, yeah, I if you can you get can, something along that lines, I I think that's... there's gonna be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of centers in this in this draft coming up. Um, I think especially around 13, I think you'll you'll still be able to get a pretty good center prospect, and and that might be something. Like, and so they're not picking that far away. But I mean, like that's the kind of thing you got to do because that defenseman is so important. If they get that defenseman. Even if, you know, we're still talking about Mike Matheson, you know, I think that, I mean, he's had a terrible year. I wonder if something happened, you know, that we I mean, know about. He, he kind of admitted and we kind of alluded to, he overanalyzed a lot. Like, you know, there was, he got the shrink at the end of last year, the beginning of whatever, because he wasn't playing that great the other year either. Um, and then the suspension happened and he just got two in his head and he was thinking and overanalyzing and he could just, he just wasn't he was, playing he was in, 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 in a, in a soccer context. He was, he was thinking and not reacting to the game. If yeah. you're at your best, you're reacting to what you see. You're not thinking it. Cause when you think it takes a split second to think. And once you've thought somebody's behind you, that's how good the NHL is yeah. right now. You have to be able to react. And I don't think Mike Matheson this year was reacting to what he was seeing. He was thinking yeah. about it. And, and, that, I think... and that difference, it might seem really small, 
but it's absolutely massive in a league where the margins are really, 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 really tiny. Yeah, where a half second is the difference between getting a smooth, clean transition, breakout with possession, and a turnover in the slot. So um, you're, you're totally right. And I think we, you know, it's good to have Q come in. It's good to have Kitchens and, and some new phrases come in that can be harsh and can be pretty critical of current players in the organization, especially on the back end, and have the respect and the credence and the reputation where guys' egos aren't hurt. Guys... Um, you know, guys in the organization that maybe made draft picks or maybe have been uh, big proponents of Mike Matheson has been the guy that's been telling Bob Bugner, you know, keep playing Matheson, keep playing Matheson, don't worry about it. You know, we'll just get him out of it. Uh, maybe it's time for them to hear, like, okay, Matheson's definitely is somebody worth keeping around. Maybe we can turn him into something. But, you know, let's let's be honest. He's not going to be the Keith Yandel replacement we all thought he was. He's, he's never going to, like... It's most. It's not likely that at his age, all of a sudden, he's going to just figure out an offensive game that's never really come. Um, you hope, you, you know, but he can still be a solid second pair defenseman one day. Um, maybe not as offensive as Yandel, but maybe not as bad defensive either. Um, and and that's okay. Maybe you know Mike Matheson's something else, and he's not a core a piece of your core defense. Maybe that's okay. Um, maybe he's a trick you know, chip. We don't maybe know. Yandel. Maybe Yandel needs third pair five on five minutes, and, and can still he be just first on power play. Right, and just eat all two minutes up on the power play. You know, and maybe you you have to tell Keith Yandel as much as he wants these big minutes at the end of games in the third period and stuff. Like, no, you that's not you. Um, you know that that and is definitely a guy who can get that message across where a guy like Keith Yandel, who's the reigning Iron Man streak, who's a very well he thought of, well supported. Right. You know, and, you know, Yandel's not going to, I mean, maybe he'll get in a little tizzy about it and, and that's his prerogative, but he's not going to really challenge uh, a guy like Quinville uh, or Kitchens. I think Quinville comes in with the respect that if he says something, the players, even if they disagree with it, are going to go along right. with it because they realize I've got three rings on my fingers. So, so I mean, if we're being honest, what is Florida looking for? They're looking for a number one defenseman. They don't have one. They're looking for a they number have a one. Lot defenseman. Of, I mean, like they could be under Joel Quenville, but they've got a lot of guys who are are, are second D on the first pair, not actually like you know. Well, I mean, that. I think you got you got Ekblad, who you know is a second pair defenseman now. Uh, you know, on the verge of really good season, just underlying numbers, but it was so bad off the top because of who he was playing with and the structure that we don't see that. I mean, I think what we thought he could be now, he could take that step, but we have to see there's, but there's certain things to me. I mean, I know a lot of people say, well, top defenseman is, you know, top 60 defenseman in the league. A top defenseman is this type of defenseman. A top defenseman is X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, I think he's borderline second pair, first pair defenseman. I think he will end up being a steady first pair right defenseman, but he's never going to be the best defenseman on a Stanley Cup winning team. Like, I don't think so, at least. And maybe, um, but you want to at least have a guy that can challenge him that's right there with him if you want to win a Stanley Cup. You know, Chicago had it. Um, Detroit had so many defensemen that were of that quality. I mean, and, and teams that have those 
consistent playoff series wins um, have those type of defensemen. Um, you know, a Niedermeyer, a Pronger, guys who really stand I mean, out. They you can't get now, like, but Keith and Seabrook were that. Right, and it's you know it's nice to have a Yandel. It's really nice to have Matheson and Ekblad, but those can't be your top three defensemen. They, they just can't, and you have to round that out. So Florida's looking for a number one defenseman, probably a lefty, and a number three, number four defenseman, probably a righty to play with to play with the Yandel. And this is and, assuming that Mark Pesic is traded, and we all think he's going yeah, to be. Yeah, and you know, from looking at their prospect pool, you have a bunch of probable third pair defense. That's what I said on, 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 on the other podcast. And I can't say it enough. Like how many of these defensemen and you and I both agree on this other than maybe Gildan are not third pair guys. And maybe Shemtich, maybe Stillman, like, like you know, that's, that's, that and, and, and you the Finnish guy that they drafted in the, and I would probably, even without seeing him play that like any games, I would probably put, the Finnish guy they drafted in the seventh round ahead of those guys. And like, just because, because he's played pro guys, hockey. Also because it's... A, you're, you're banking on the scout at that point, you know? And, and, like, and if, if, if if he's telling you something, then you're... Well, actually, at this point, with the way that he drafts, you listen. Yeah. So, I mean... We can't say enough how good Yari Kekalainen is. And if he tells you somebody is really good and that's your difference... I mean, he is the guy who told you to take Barkov. And at that point, once he tells you to do that, I mean, it's not that Seth Jones isn't bad. It's not that Jonathan, well, Jonathan Duran's not had the career we thought he was going to have. But at this point, it's like once the well, guy. Well, maybe that's Jonathan Duran's fault. Uh, well, maybe it is his fault. But you think about just that. And, you know, he is the guy that, in, in many ways, told you draft Borgstrom. And we haven't seen the best of Henrik Borgstrom. But the fact is, I mean, he's going to be training with Barkov this summer. And that's the best possible thing that could happen because you want every single player to go in a room with him and be like, what are we doing? Because, you know, Barkov got it from Yager and now Barkov is the guy that the team orbits around. And you've got this young center who has the potential to do something so very special. You train with him. I mean, that's I'm excited to see what Borgstrom is with a new coach, with a new opportunity. And after a full year of training with the guy, that's what I want to see. And it's like I, I want to see less pressure on Borgstrom. I just want to I just want him. I think if if this is goes the way that we think it could go, Borgstrom is going to be one of those really good depth guys and the guy that makes the plays beyond the top the on the top six. Although I mean, one day I'd like to see him be second line center. You know, I think Joel Quenville is going to give him the opportunities and not put pressure on him to be amazing. But he's going to actualize him in a way that you know other coaches can't because he's Joel Quenville and he's built up these players like that. And I bet Joel Quenville, when he sees Henrik Borgstrom and he talks with Dale Talent about Henrik Borgstrom, he's going to say, "Well, there's a lot here that we can work with, and we're going to get the, and we can get the best out of him." You know, that's yeah. what Joel Quenville sees. He sees potential, and that's what right. I, and with a lot of the young players too. I mean, we're even talking Hepo Niemi. I think he's going to say, "Well, I've got potential, and I can get the best out of these guys." And that's yeah. what you have. To- it's more. It's more important, though. Uh, hopefully, that Quinville's coming in and 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 looking at some of these young defensemen, guys that are in their mid twenties that are kind of in betweeners and career minor leaguers or or prospects that are have unfulfilled potential. Um, and you know, just looking at the Josh Browns and be like, no, thank you. Just looking at the Emicotions and being like, no, thank you. Um, we need to move past these guys. Maybe we keep Weegar, but you know, Maybe like let's. Keep- Let's you know continue to to get better standards because I, I mean I've seen too many 
NHL rosters where like for next year where like Brady Keeper is in the NHL and like uh no. Josh Brown's like maybe on a second pair with, no. with Keith Yandel and it's just you know, I think now that we have a, a true coach, now that the Florida Panthers, for all intents and purposes, so far this offseason, have put their money where their mouth is to be a contender, finally, after six years of talking the talk and not walking the walk, Florida Panthers fans have to quickly understand what an actual Stanley Cup contender is. Because I think they've been bamboozled into thinking the team's closer than it is, or or um, the past teams have are closer to stanley cup rosters and than they are um and it's nice that you know pittsburgh has run with the ragtag uh roster um but you know we don't have Sidney crosby and evgeny malkin we have barkov and huberto but um i don't want to take the chance of winning with you know a technicality of malkin not getting suspended in the end of a cup run and a bunch and gary bettman's refs calling everything capitals have done i mean they've got john carlson john carlson's better than any panthers defenseman and they traded for Uh, i would take ekblad over john carlson 10 out of 10 but yeah no i think john carlson's overrated think about the other aspect of this that's interesting what was their big move last year they got michael kempney and just a steady, actual, like, bottom of the bottom defenseman, but one that really does the things you need to do. Same with right. somebody like Nick Jensen. You know, like, the Panthers don't have defensemen like that. The closest yeah. they have is Uyghur. And I like Mackenzie Uyghur, but he's not those guys. Yeah. You know? And, you know, and also Dmitry Panthers, Orlov is, is one of those Orlov, guys yeah, on yeah, another that's, team. That's you absolutely know? the answer. The Panthers don't have a Dmitry Orlov. They don't have, you know, like, there's just, like, it goes it goes to shit really quickly with the Panthers uh, on their NHL roster and their AHL depths and qu- hopefully Quinville coming in in this offseason is going to rapidly decrease the number of of people playing over their heads because that's been the issue with Florida. Florida always have had people in the front office in over their heads in the coaching staff in over their heads on the roster playing in positions in over their heads. I mean, you have Keith Yandel playing in five-on-five position over his head. You have Mark Pistick. You have goalies playing in over their heads. Well, you have... you hear what they said on 31 Thoughts? I was listening to it yesterday, and apparently the front office wanted, like, an actual, like, legit rotation with Luongo and Reimer, and Bugner kind of ignored it and played Luongo more because he lost faith in Reimer. And, I mean, let's be honest, like, we all lost faith in James Reimer, but... I mean, next year, we have to talk about goalies now. Uh, like, that 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 could tell you, like, why it seemed like it was going so wrong and why Luongo was playing too much. And it was because, you know, the, the front all office made a bad decision and then the coaching staff compounded the bad decision. Right. I mean, but I don't think playing Reimer more would have helped. I mean, I think no, with the... Made it, it would have made it no better. It was already as I, I think I was hoping that he was going to be telling me that, you know, the front office is like, call up, you know, let's play Montembeau, but Brugner was well, not I playing Montembeau. Like the, the way that Montembeau was dealt with towards the end of the season last year was just horrific. And I think yeah. that he has the potential next year to legitimately be an NHL backup, which is what he should be. But, yeah. I mean, he... I mean, that's what the ideal scenario is. Even if you go out for Bobrovsky, and I'm not a Bobrovsky fan, I still don't think they should sign him. But under all circumstances, Montebos should be an AHL backup. He should, uh, not AHL back, NHL backup, I should say. Uh, he doesn't need to be in, in Springfield anymore. We know what he is in Springfield. What is he in the NHL? What is he with a real system in front of him with ideas? You know? 
that's what I hope for the for the Florida Panthers is, is the case. As much as I know Luberto Luongo wants to continue to play, the best thing for the organization is for Luongo to be sitting next to Craig Mitterveen during TV broadcasts. And I mean, the best thing for the uh, <laughs> it might be for Craig Mitterveen to be in the net. Oh, jeez. Um, I like uh, Craig Mitterveen. Sometimes he says things that are silly, but I like Craig Mitterveen. I think he's fun. I like Craig Mitterveen. He used to be on wrestling. Come Craig on. Minivan. Well, I know. I, well, I'm not a big wrestling guy either. Well, I think, no, you know. I'm not either. But I mean, like, once you're on Twitter for two seconds, you you know more about wrestling than you ever did. And uh, I've I've yet to learn really anything well, about. I've wrestling. learned some things. I've learned maybe it's because I follow a lot more people who are interested in wrestling from all of the pursuits that I have. You know, but the the point is, like, I want Roberto Luongo to be around this organization forever, but I just don't think he can be the backup next year because of not just for you know the the hockey reasons. He's going to be forty and he's going to be forty one in the playoffs, but because of very important reasons of cap. If you're signing Sergei Bobrovsky for the money that he wants, you've got fourteen fifteen million dollars in cap on your goal. Well, what terrible. money? Well, we don't know what money he wants. We we know what money we think he would want. I mean, we know what money he tells. We know what money he tells Columbus. We know what money he tells Columbus he wants to stay. I mean, we know like a lot of things. Than Ohio, but I mean, yeah. Then that's. I mean, you have to assume. I mean, I know that's bad thing to do, but you have to think that that's what the ballpark is, and that's what all of the people who have knowledge of the situation are telling you. Here's here's my. Here's my thing. Is this your um, official Bobrovsky take? This is my official Bobrovsky take. One, he wants to play. I think he wants to play with Panarin. Um, I think the fact that they have the same agent and the fact um, that Quinville is in Florida, I think, has only increased the fact that they're both probably going to end up in Florida. I think if they both end up in Florida and they get traded with their rights there with both having eight-year contracts, you can get the cap hits down to where it's livable. Because here's the big thing. Name a better goalie than Borowski that you can get. Right. That you know is going to be more – that's going to give you the chance to win as many playoff series as Borowski does in you the next three Bobrovsky's years. Borowski's a terrible playoff goalie? We no, we don't know that. We know that he was terrible in the playoff one playoff series he played, or like the game and a half he played it for the Flyers, who were terrible at the time. We know that he's been terrible for Columbus Blue Jackets, who suck in the first round. That's what we know. Well, we don't know that he's so. terrible in the first round. I mean, last night he looked pretty good to me. After well, after the first period, lip. he was awful. <laughs> right, but I mean, again, who name a goalie? That, that yeah, gives that, them a mean, better chance I, over the course I, of Barkov's contract to compete for yeah, the Stanley Cup that, as Bobrovsky. That, that's the one thing you have to come back to. And as much as I don't think Sergey Bobrovsky makes sense, unless you're getting John Gibson, you know. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, not there's anybody like that. There's, I mean, yes, we could say they could draft, you know, the 20 year old Ilya Konolov or whatever. I forget his name. That's like setting all these KHL records right now. You could draft him and maybe. Maybe he he sparks and in three years he he can win you a cup. But I mean, look how long it took Vasilevsky. Look how like it, it's gonna yeah, if you Ben Bishop out first. Yeah, and then there's no established goalie that you like. What you're gonna trade for? Like, do you think Corey Schneider is gonna do any better? Hell no. You know, like like who like who else are you gonna like John? Like who else are you gonna Quinn get? Is terrible. Don't do that either. You know, like Quick stinks. 
yes, you're going to be paying a lot of money for Bobrovsky. Um, but you have impending compliance buyouts. Perhaps. And if you're thinking... I don't want to assume that, that that's going to happen. If, if you're thinking, all right, it's an eight-year deal, he's going to be... We can at least get four years. We can deal with this kind of... He's going to at least be worth it for four years. Well, we can then, I mean, you also have the Seattle expansion draft, and there's the... Right. The, the dynamics of that too, and 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 Montembeau and right, but you know, again, I'm willing for I can like Sam Montembeau can not exist as far as I'm concerned if we get an actual starting goalie that can win us playoff series and stuff like that. If we get Sergey Borovsky, like I'm okay, I'm okay with Samuel Montembeau not being anything. Yeah, the, like, I, I can see. Do that. Do you want to win or do you want Samuel Montembeau to be your goalie? I mean, do you like? My criteria is as much, and like I was a huge, I wanted the Panthers to draft Montembeau. I, I was a, I'm a huge believer with him. I still think he can be a starting goalie in the NHL, but they need a guy who Coach Quinville absolutely believes in next season. That can, that he knows he can build a system around and that's going to pay off next season. I I can't think of another goalie there, that can there, do it like Borowski can. There isn't one. Maybe I mean. Varlamov is not a terrible backup plan. That's that's what uh, I was not going to cost like, you assets. That's my backup plan, and I know that he's not had the best of years. But he's going to we'll see how he looks tonight. Is but... Panarin going to like what? Like you know, does that mean you lose Panarin though? Because if you're not getting like, what if Panarin's like, all right, I'll go to New York. I'll go with the Rangers, or like I'll go with you know, not the Rangers, but because they have one quest, but. You know, I'll go. But, but when you think, I'll about, go to X team with with Sergey, or I'll go to a different know, like, team. Where else is Sergey Bobrovsky gonna go? That's the other thing. Right. I mean, and like, what what do you think his? What's too much of a cap cap hit? For I think. Bobrovsky? Okay. Let's let's look at let's look at where he is now. He is a seven point four two five cap hit at this moment. Yes. If we look, what's at, his salary? If you're already there, his salary this year is less. I believe it's like six something. Is that the high like? So this contract is it like a the four year deal that he signed for twenty nine point seven million. His salary was eight point five the first two years. It's six point two now. The cap hit seven point four two five. So it's gone down a little bit. Um, when you look at overall, I believe that's the third highest cap hit for any goalie in the league behind Lundqvist and Price. So you know he's going to want to raise. I don't know how much. I, well, I don't think he's. I I, I think I think he's kind of. I think there is – I don't think he's going to get a raise. I don't think he necessarily needs a raise. Well, I mean, you – okay. Again, the Florida tax situation is something that sometimes is is overanalyzed in many But ways. it's not just the – it's not the Florida tax situation. It's I'm going – I'm picking my shot. Uh, I'm going to go play with my friend. My friend also is expensive. But my my, yeah. my my thing was always I fear that it's going to be near carry. I think it's going to be eight point five to nine million. If it's it. that, then yes, you do it. I mean, I think it tops out at ten. I don't think it goes over ten. I think ten as a cap hit is a problem. If you're giving him ten years in salary, you know, ten million in salary, but the cap hit's lower, then that's fine. We're well, like I mean, what what if cap. what if well what well so what's the highest you're willing to go to nine five I, on I the think, cap? I even think nine five's too high. I think nine would be the best that you. Okay, but would but would that really extra million on the cap do a break it? You got Panarin ready to sign. You got Bob ready to sign. You're fine on the Panarin numbers. It's just that extra million with it, it Bob. It depends you're on good, how it yeah. shakes out. Yeah, I have you to know, be honest. Like, it, it depends, but I think that 
every little bit when you are a cap team, which is what they want to be, helps because you never know what you might need down the stretch. You never know what kind of money but you need to give to other players. That's they're not the they're not play. so tight that it's going to create they're going to be an issue. I mean, because you're going to have, I mean, you can get. Hoffman's five yeah. and change. Uh, Matheson's four and a half. You can get six, almost three. Reimer's three. Luongo's four and change or three something. Well, I don't. It, know. I, I mean, forget. Here's my real test. If if Luongo doesn't play and they LTIR him, which they do, then yeah. if the cap goes up to say eighty two point five million dollars, the Panthers can go four plus over that because of Luongo. Do they spend to that cap? Is my other question. I don't think they would because it like there's issues with actually taking the LTIR money with bonuses and with trade deadline space, I think that they would at least wait to see if they need to – like if they kept Hoffman and they maybe only got one defenseman, they'd maybe not want to do anything yeah. in case you wanted well, to add something. As I said, that's the question that I've got. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that, that ends up. But uh, up that's my head. thing with Bobrovsky is, you know – it's it's great to be realistic about his aging curve. It's great to be realistic about how we don't want to pay him too much money uh, and we don't want to be stuck with him for too many years. But also it's it's like with Quenville. If it's not Borowski, then who? It's a big drop-off to everybody else. You're one of the few teams that needs a goalie. Maybe that helps you. You're one of the few teams that also wants his friend. Maybe that helps you. Um, you got a big time coach. You're going to be announcing a new practice facility, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're um, gonna, this next is week. Another thing that I I know, like they're voting on the deal, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. It's at the War Memorial in Fort Lauderdale that they're turning into a, an ice rink. Um, that's I didn't realize that was happening. And again, like as much as we want to talk about them losing money, and Dale Town said off the cuff they're losing twenty eight to thirty million a year. I don't think that's legitimately true. I think they're lo- they're losing money, but they're not losing that much. Remember, when you lose money, you save money else uh, place called taxes and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's 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 all for I mean, and they're and every Viola, NHL and Doug Sifu know what every it's like. NHL company loses money on paper. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think so. The Blackhawks said they lose money, which makes no sense. There's no way they lose money, yeah. and Vinny Viola and, and folks know how that would work for tax reasons. They've got people who are smart enough to do that. Uh, but the point is, like, if they like, if that's that's a practice facility in Fort Lauderdale inside a historic rink that they'd have to retrofit, and that's that's a, a good sign, obviously. Yeah, because because the end result um, is that's going to be a place where. Panarin is going to be like, all right, I can see myself showing up here to work early in the morning and staying late at night for eight years. Yeah, and it's this like- is where I kind of want my kids to like hang out during the week and stuff. You know, this is things that they're kind of you know, Bobrovsky's figuring also, out now. I mean, it's not too bad to live in Fort Lauderdale. No, I mean, I think it's I think that's an improvement. I mean, I think they do to have the type of team that would necessitate. Well, to, to, live, to have the type of standards that would intrigue the type of players you want to be a continual cup champion, you know, you kind of have to pay the money on these things. You have to pay the money for Borowski, for Panarin. You have to pay the money to get Coach Q's assistant coaches in. Um, you got to pay the money for the billboards and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's... But but again, like you hire Joel Quenville, that money's already made in many ways back. So and I'm and I'm sure that if you you would make a lot of that Bobrovsky money, 
back, and I'm not too worried about it, to be honest with you. You were I mean, before, I, and you aren't now. I well, I was before because I was always under the impression Coach Q was a long shot that that wasn't I, I happening. Making the same thing, uh, you know, because and this was kind of confirmed by other people who actually have the ability to confirm this and be credible. But, you know, Coach Q and the Flyers did have conversations in the spring, which I was, which I heard about. And, you know, big money, more money than Florida gave him was thrown around. And definitely, you know, it could have gotten, if that's what they were throwing around in the spring, it definitely would have gotten bigger. Um, if, you know, Philadelphia did have to compete with Florida um, and, and that kind of stuff, I, I didn't think it was going to happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that as, as much stock we put in the Dale, uh, Q relationship, that, that was actually the case that, that, that the, it did go a long way. And, and, you know, that, that relationship was something that was as solid and, and as close knit as, um, was reported in the media. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on one second. You don't think it was horse racing? <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I think that's a, that's an interesting tidbit and I think that's a good, it's a good small talk. Um, I know, I know. It's funny because now Joel, Joel Quenville and the owner could go down to what's the place that they always advertise on the games. I forgot what it was called. Yeah. But they could go Golf down to the horse racing like that. On, on off days and, and go bet yeah. the horses. You know, you know that Joel Quenville is going to show up with you know, but the if, Kentucky if, Derby this year. Well, like, you know, that's the, that's the shit I don't really mind. Like, you know, I didn't have a problem that they're spending a ton of money on horse racing. My only problem was they were spending a ton of money on horse racing. They were spending more on horses than they were on a head coach. Now it's not the case. I don't care. This is true. Um, You're absolutely right. So, and we, it's, we, it's, it's a perk. It's a perk. It, it, it gets coach Q keeps him happy, gives him something to do in the off season, that kind of stuff. And, and, if the Panthers it, are, and here's the other thing that you got to think about down the line that, Ironclad BB and T Center lease is closer to ending than you think. If, I bet you. I bet you it's they. They're um. Well, well, we'll think about that on track. Is if probably the Florida best Panthers are really good now, which is possible. If they're good, what might that mean for you know insert municipality closer to the rising Atlantic Ocean here that might want to build an arena in a better location for the future. Because that's a question that's going to get asked at some point. Because the BBT Center is over 20 years old now. Yeah, I mean... The Panthers are good, and they're consistently good, and at that point might have won a Stanley Cup or at least have done something to, you know, earn cachet in the marketplace like the Heat have. You know what I mean? Does that it would, not mean... It would have to be have, close to the new practice arena that they're does building. Does that not mean, then, that there is going to be more willingness to build that arena? You know what I mean? Like that's that's something you have to think about, and maybe it's it's that that final business, that acumen that that maybe works. That if you invest here, we're gonna get more down the line. And again, they've already sold some season tickets. That's gonna continue to come through. I, they've got the chance to do something very special coming up, and I hope they do. And I since, hope that this since is we're the talking about since we're talking about they, I I did want to just say I was really happy to see General retired. Um, Magoo um, out there. <laughs> Tom Rowe? Um, no, just like I, I think it's good that there's a, a, we're seeing a familiar face that speaks for the Viola and Sifu families um, in the same manner over and over again in a calm manner that doesn't over, oversell, overhype, over promise. Um, he's much more, 
you know, this is what we are striving for. This is the potential we think we see. Um, and we're going to do everything to back it up for you fine people. He speaks like a general. Right. And, you know, and I think that is a much needed presence at these uh, media events. Because I think, you know, it adds, that's the... That's kind of the voice that a professional franchise should have and well, it's, it's hasn't really had. You think about it, like we've you know? criticized the military stuff before, but it can be used right. Well, I mean, I don't. I think that's less military than more just somebody who actually has good leadership acumen. Like, not to steal a word that you use, but um, has good, um, you know, has a good sense of control and and how to run things and has a standards. A set of standards, well, and like, you know, you can I, I find was, that in the military. We didn't see Vinny at that press conference, or we didn't see Matt I, Caldwell at that press conference. That's it's a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm it's not going to read too much into that, but I can say that that's interesting, and that's well, no, because I think I think it shows that the families are folk. You know, the the ownership is focused on the right things, of focus on putting the light on the right stuff, and you know, you when how they immediately started marketing it. Like, as, as funny as, as it might seem, it's like we, we realize that they have done good things before. As much as we criticize them for the hockey team, and there's a lot to criticize them for, they, they have invested in many ways in, in to get people in the building, even though they know there's a bad team there. They've, uh-huh. I mean, they did things right. You remember what happened when the Walker Montoya got they've done, the same game. I, I'm Their marketing I'm less praiseworthy of and well, I mean, but, as opposed to them marketing directly to the opposing fans and or using a hockey team to sell concerts, which is what happened right. before. But um, I, I I, think that, you know, they're only going to improve as they put, like you said, this start, you know, we're kind of talking in circles now, but start the podcast, you know, when you put in, when you invest the money, you can, you can regain money. And, and um, people are interested but, now that Joel Quenville's there. So I well, think. Let's go to the draft. Before the draft real quick. Yeah. And, um. First of all, are, Let's be are happy you not that they sad stayed. that the top two draft picks this year are going to be playing Flyers four times each year? I mean, I'm just sad because I hate New York. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I don't want the I don't want the Rangers to get Kako. I don't want. I mean, Jack Hughes can go to the Devils. I hope the Devils. I'd rather a Devils jersey with Kako on it than a uh, Rangers. Yeah, jersey. I got I got more friends that like the Devils, but I think they're going to take Jack Devils Hughes. fans are more. Well, you, relatable you Devils to fans because they're self-deprecating in a very distinctly New Jersey small, way. Yeah, they're smaller market. They're they're more cool. Well, they feel uh, like well, yeah. no, they they are in many ways not the little brother, but they they have that aspect of their fan base, and it and it drives them, and it's and it how they operate. Well, they're a bunch I, of face I painters. I, love I mean, I've been to some Devils. I've been to a couple Devils Panthers games with a friend of mine. And, you know, I mean, I've got nothing against the Devils. You know, it's just like at some point, you know, they've won the lottery again. Like, when did they start being described as the Oilers, basically? They're, they're at least a little better. Um, they, well, I mean, they, they, they haven't won a playoff series. The Oilers at least have. If we're excluding 2012 from this discussion, which I guess we have to. I, didn't, I, I don't know if the – New Jersey Devils have a player on their team that refs will go out of their way to change series for. So Um, let me think about that. Uh, Maybe it'll be Jack Hughes, but maybe maybe Um, maybe Taylor Hall. I don't know. I guess I guess we could start there. The the Jack Hughes Kako Kako debate. I Um, I find it. I I find it 
funny that there is a grown there is a professional league where someone's putting up historical numbers um besting alexander barkov um who is an nhl superstar and and in a league playing against men playing against guys who've played in other professional leagues guys who've played in the nhl uh before um and he's doing it with power he's doing it with force and then you go to a guy that has concerns plays in the ushl which is um, a tier two junior league which has only gotten worse since expansion plays on the u.s national development team a team that is heads and shoulders better than the competition they play night in and night out um, to the fact that, you know, a fourth and a third liner on their team is, you know, pretty close to top line on, on the other teams. Um, looking, this is the deepest the dev team has been the last two years. And, you know, that definitely helps Hughes's numbers. And then thinking of Jack Hughes going straight from USHL, um, to the NHL, I think it's going to be a, more of a rocky start uh, with more risks than going from a Finnish pro league uh, over to the NHL. I agree with you. I was, and and I'm not saying he's not the number two prospect, and he's not very a good prospect, uh, and that centers maybe don't have more value than wingers, but it's not like this guy from Finland's. You know, playing in a junior league is well, again, doing okay. Like or Ethan anything. McKinnon is bad. He's very good. Right. But isn't Alexander Barkov better? Yeah. And I mean, there's a little bit of that. And then there's also, if you think about it, the Hughes family is more well known. Why? Because his dad was a is was in the professional scouting game his and professional hockey. Is also, you know, like everybody's fawning over themselves to praise right. Hughes for his first. And the other Hughes, the, the younger one, that's not even draft eligible yet. You know, there's. Um, you know, both the parents are well known in the hockey world, and um, insidious hockey world. Yeah, so it's men. it's it's really easy for teams for scouting services to be like Jack Hughes is number one. I don't have to worry about the family. I don't have to worry about you know his attitude, his work ethic, all this stuff. I know it. I've seen it for the last fifteen years. You know, before we even played hockey, I knew who he was because I was working with his dad. I was. You know, I was doing this, that, and the other thing with his family. Um, or, you know, if, I knew of If we of had the number one pick, obviously we know who we'd take. If the Panthers had the number one pick, I hope that's who they'd take. I think they would. Just based yeah, on, I think they would. I mean, I this think is... That, you know, if we, based on recent Panthers draft history and based on, you know, who, you know, based on who they have in their organization, I think Cackle would have been number one. If yeah, the I mean, I'm th- I think it's, you know, Jack Hughes to me is like a Nico Hishier type center, a guy who maybe is a top-line center uh, on, on a lot of teams, um, plays the game, is very smart, is very um, creative, and you know, hopefully it'll, it'll result in a lot of production. Um, he's going to generate a lot of chances. I'm not sure they're all go in, um, but... But then, you know, you look at Capococco, and to me that's Austin Matthews. That's Patrick Laine. That's a unique ability um, to create goals, not just chances, not just puck possession and Corsi, but um, that's doing things that just hockey players and, and what you see around the draft class, it's just completely different. It's... Um, 
very much an attack puck possession um, style and the way he shoots and the way he finishes plays is very unpredictable for defense for goalies um, and it's just it's very unique and if I'm picking at the top of the draft that's the one thing I look for is unique 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 high-end skill unique high-end skill something that I can't find anywhere else I can only find here because you're only going to get there so often. You're only going to get to these um, top you're, picks, so you better get it there. to the Rangers, probably. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see if the Devils are lucky, you know. <laughs> I, I, well, Tyler Dell is Not, working for them now. Right, yeah, Come so we'll on, see. Come on, Tyler, you know what to And do. again, this is nothing against Hughes. I think in a lot of drafts, he could go number one um, uh, or two, I don't know. and maybe, there's nothing wrong with him. Here's an open question for you, because last year, Darlene would have gone number one no matter what. 2017, when the Devils picked number one and they took Heischer, and then the Flyers took Nolan Patrick. I mean, right I think, now, if you're asking me, the number one pick from that draft is Miro Heiskanen, but it would Jack Hughes go number one in that draft to you? I think he'd be, I think he'd be pretty up there with Heischer, and probably be, I would lean to him over Nolan Patrick. I think because would you take Miro Heiskanen just little... over all of them? Yeah, but again, you would know, you, I know would people you. take? Would would people take a defenseman first overall? Well, um, the last I, one that went was Aaron Ekblad, and well, yeah, and you could have had Leon Draisaitl. I mean, and like, I think that's you have to be yeah. exceptional, and Ekblad and and Darlene were exceptional. Yeah, it's just always harder for a defenseman to live up to number one. Yeah, um, this is this is true. So let's go to where the Panthers are at, at thirteen. Thirteen. I, um, I do not know too much about this draft class. I've seen a couple of mocks, and one of them had them taking a goalie, which. No, that's Oof. not happening. Do not do that. The other had him take, and I've seen a lot of them taking uh, USHL defenseman, which is. Oh, uh, I don't think you like that, but I don't think that's what the Panthers do. That's not no. like how they draft. I mean, first, I know a lot of people were bummed they didn't move up, which I, I know a lot of people expected to, but it was more likely they would move back, even at 13, where there's less teams that can jump in front of you. It was still more likely they'd move back than move up. Yeah. So to stay still is kind of beating the odds. So that's how I kind of look at it. Um, we we won in the fact that we didn't move back anymore. Well, also like thirteen's a good position. Draft picks this the last couple of years. It's like you whatever you think about Tippett and Denisenko. I mean they're, they're they're for based on who is available and what the Panthers are identifying. Good draft picks. They're still well I, and. The best way, and I think what you're getting at, is they're highly regarded, they're highly coveted, they're well thought of. Um, they have, they, they have, have flaws. They have promise either on the trade market or to the team on the ice. And, and you know, before a player becomes an NHL player, that's all you can really ask for. I mean, you're um, not getting crazy that, great NHL. talent at that, that spot in the draft unless it falls, and you can't predict that. And well, I, I mean... In, well, if you go in and you identify, here's what we want in a certain player, here's what we like, and if we have a a, a, a path, an establishment of an idea, this is what we want, and you stick to that, then you're going to be successful. And the Panthers in the last couple of years has had that in the draft. And that's all you could legitimately ask for. Even if it's not, you know, top-end A-grade drafts, even if it's a B-plus draft, but it's a B-plus draft where you stick to your principles and you stick to your guns, which clearly in the last two years with Talon running the drafts and then the combination of PCS and, and Kekalainen and the scouts that they have elsewhere, that's worked. They've drafted players that they want, that they've identified, and they found good players. They're and I think that they've definitely drafted best player available. Because um, you can look back at 
the D from last year who, you know, that was a, looking back at it, that was a really good D class. And if you were going to draft for need and you were the Panthers and you need a D, you, they could have gotten a lot of good D. They could have gotten uh, Rasmus Sand, uh, Sandin, Noah Dobson. You know, there was uh, a, a few defensemen they could have got that would, you know. The picks were Dennis Sanko and Sarah Noel. And we've already seen a piece in The Athletic right. on Sarah Noel. So right. you know that it, he really likes him. Yeah, and I think, you know, at 13, you're in a good spot. Um, I think, one, I'm, I'm not saying it'd be wrong to pick Spencer Knight with their first choice in the NHL. I just think draft, I just think it shouldn't be at 13. If you're going to take him, trade back. Yeah, um, I agree with you there. You, you don't want to take him in a, in a non-playoff spot. Uh, that's a goal because most likely the fo- a forward or defenseman you, you – a skater, basically, so that you ask question is going to have more value. If Arthur sure. Kaliev is there, and yes, yes, you take over a defenseman. I mean, I was just about to get to that. I would take it. I would do best player available, and to me, that's probably going to be a defenseman at thirteen, unless a forward from my top ten falls. And Kaliev is definitely a player who well, you see, has he, top we ten know talent about Arthur fall. He's from Delray Beach. And okay, he put in, up. If you're in the cynic mode, and you have been, and I certainly can be a skeptic, I mean, you don't think that drafting a first round player who was born and raised in Delray Beach isn't going to sell some tickets and get you some good press and get I, you on the news stations, get you in all the places across South Florida? Like, that's a thing that you can't, you can get it in every other sport. You can certainly get it in the NFL, you can get it a little bit in the NBA, you can get it in baseball, you don't get it in hockey. And. I mean, like, that's that to me, like, Kaliev's a good player, but the immediate thought I'd have is if you're drafting him is like, well, you are drafting the kid that was born and raised in Delray Beach. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying and that's bad. He's, he's a 51 good goals, 51 assists this year for Hamilton um, in the OHL. That's a better draft year than Owen Tippett. Um, if they took him, I, there would be hockey reasons to do that. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, like, that's the first thought every single person would have. Is you're yeah. drafting a kid that was I, 40 minutes away from where you where you uh, play? I have I have him ranked um, seventh uh, overall in okay, this draft, so and and this is this is a draft that I think What's your uh, a lot of top ten. Uh, I just have the top eight figured okay, out right now. Eight. So I can give top eight is Kako, Hughes, Podolskin, Kirby Doc, Dylan Cozens, Bowen Byram, Arthur Kaliev, Philip Roberg. Okay. So, I mean, if you're at 13, what is, like, you you were talking about it in the Y Hockey account a little bit. Billy, Billy Hanola is probably defenseman from Luco, Laco. I'm, I'm not great with pronunciations of even my own language, so other languages I struggle with. <laughs> that's top league in Finland. Over recent years, you will know that that is true. He got, he got hurt early in the World Junior uh, tournament, so it wasn't, you know, the best place to see him. But he's really came on at – once getting healthy in that second half. And here's the thing with D. Uh, with forwards, um, I think, you know, everyone kind of knows how to pick a good forward in, in the first round now. You're looking at goals. You're looking at guys who will be able to carry their production into the NHL um, and be a top six player. If, you, if you're drafting in the first round, you better be getting a top six player or, or a top four defenseman. For the defenseman, it's a little harder. You're not looking – you're, you're kind of looking – 
at the overall package and you're like, is this guy somebody we think we can turn into the overall package defenseman in five years? So it's more about getting the guys at the right point of the trajectory, guys that haven't really peaked, guys that are going to keep ratcheting up over the next couple of years. And it's, it's definitely harder with defensemen because it's not just about goals. It's not about points. Obviously, those are the best type of defensemen to project on, and you see those guys um, do well, especially early on. Um, guys like Zach Jones, and or not Zach Jones, uh, Zach, Seth Jones, and Zach, Zach Rowinski, or Thomas Shabbat, um, you know, Johan Klingberg, guys who can come into the league. Yeah, there you go. See? Johan who? I, you get, um, you get um, mixed up with Johan Hedberg? No, maybe. I mean, but, that you know, guys. You did. And and that's not what the Panthers are really looking at. But no, those guys, you know, it's easy. Like I said, it's easier to, to take points and say and, and count on that transfer. They don't draft but, that way. That's not yeah. how they draft. And and I think there's you're, – you're looking for a skill set and a tool set that's just kind of picking up. Like the Flyers – how the Flyers drafted Travis Sandheim in, in the teens in the first round. By the way, if, if, if the Panthers could trade for Travis Sandheim, I know you also like the Flyers. I mean, if that's, I mean that's something I think as Panthers right. you could do. Yeah, and and you know that's the type of pick that you're looking for at 13. It, it might be a pick that some people are saying, oh, uh, you know, I thought that guy would go maybe a little later. Or well, that's what uh, they said about Borgstrom, and it turned out that right. Borgstrom was the right pick at that time. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not saying maybe go that far back. No, uh, but I mean, even then, but, but even then, it's like if you find a guy that you like and you see an average, what your principles are in drafting and your plan, and you get that guy, as long as you do that then you're probably going to be okay, even if you and I might not agree with it on, on principle. I think the Panthers are probably going to take a defenseman, but if there's a guy that they like that falls, take him. Stick yeah. to what and, gets you there. And and the thing with Spencer Knight is, and I know a lot of people are pointing out, he's the best goalie prospect since Carey Price or whatever. And, well, you know, I heard that about a lot of goalie prospects. Campbell, I mean, he's only now starting to be, you know, not a bust. Right. You and know, like, you know you can find them anywhere and they are so raw it's hard to you know goalies are voodoo I, is the thing you said. and that's but not the like, goalie that the panthers need desperately so much so that they should yeah risk I, I, i'm still not on losing value on a first round draft goalie unless you are just yeah. absolutely 100 percent sure and even then i don't think that's the case you know, second, third round, go for a goalie then. Um, yeah, you've got plenty of or, third round picks. Or just yeah. trade back. Just trade back. If if that's if you really want Spencer Knight, trade back to like 18, 19, because be you can available. probably get him there. But, I mean, like, uh, if you're talking about Hainola, I mean, you can't go wrong with a, a Finn. Miko, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of European defensemen that I think you're fine, fine with, some even playing in North America um, and, and the WHL and stuff. Um you know, Victor Solderstrom is another defenseman. He's playing in Brinus. There, there's like you know a handful of defensemen that I I feel fine with getting. It's really how you would develop them um, and everything. It's it's such an average draft. It's really hard to kind of shift through and and really. So you're going to see picks get and in this draft stuff outside the top ten. Be basically, like. They could go anywhere. There's not a huge, you know, yeah. well I mean, I think, to draw from. 
Yeah, I think the top nine, top ten is is probably where a lot of the value will be. And then it's after that it will be guys picking their best. You know, and there'll be guys, you know, like Peyton Krebs, I think, is uh, somebody who uh, plays for Kootenai who's very creative, a very good pre- creative playmaker. Um, he also has the grit and the grind. You know, he wins board battles and that kind of stuff. Um, who can go in the early teens. And, you know, that could be a top six forward in the NHL. That guy can, you know, put up some points and, and be a good value add. But, you know, there's a lot of risk there. And um, it's not like some of the other years where I think – there's a defined hierarchy, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also just you're knowingly going to be getting better players in the teens. It's not that deep of a draft class. Um, and I know, you know, with the with how much Jack Hughes is getting hyped and then how much other people are hyping Capo Caco, and then there's a lot of hype around Bo and Byram, and it, it seems like, um, you know, maybe it's a pretty deep, cla- deep class, but um, seems – average here's the thing and that means you know at at 15 you're getting a chance at an nhl forward you know um lottery tickets yeah so and i think that this is again this is definitely draft picks could be used to get players now we don't know right yeah and and if for whatever reason um you know just kind of throw out some of my biases this is a very heavy um ushl year um you know bchl like uh, alex newhook uh, is getting a lot of looks and everything and i just really shy away from those players they don't really interest me you know there's a bunch of guys who've all played together in the u.s national team putting up a bunch of points and they're all first round you know all the d all the forwards you know the, their whole top six top four and two goalies are you know first round type prospects and it's like really is that the case so I just kind of shy away from them because it's hard to kind of pick out in, in my short time of, you know, the games I watch and stuff because I'm not a, a real scout. Um, I mean, who's actually the I mean, one driving the bus? Who's the one that's... Draft before. I, I, I wouldn't yeah. discount your ability. I mean, so, listen, yeah, you, you might like European players more than most people like European players, but at, at most points you are pretty dead on you you do know yeah. most of what you have the things and you stick to them i mean you said last year about denisenko you were happy with him and yeah truth i was told, i was pretty happy with him and, and you truth be told but again like you look at what's happened like the last four for the four top picks were Tippett, hemponiemi denisenko and sarah noel it's a pretty good group of forwards and even if two of them work out you've still done a good job yeah, and 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 there, and there are reasons to believe that that they know what they, that they know how they want to draft. They know what they want to do, and with a plan that is, as we said, identifiable. You can see what they're doing, and even if it's a B plus draft, as long as you've stuck to your principles and you get one to two players out of it, you're in good shape. That's all you need. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all I you mean, need, and nope. and that's and that's more of what I can say from the Panthers now, from the last two drafts, even though we haven't seen it completely actualized. It's like that's not. Like, even the 2015 draft, like, Montembeau's played in the NHL, Mulgan's played in the NHL. I mean, obviously, Kraus didn't, but, you know, you've gotten players from those drafts. As long as you get – if you can get one to two, then you've done yourself a good job. Because now, I mean, yeah, even I, I think 2014, Jace Howerluck is – I, I expect player. a little a little more than you one to two out of this draft. That, but, I, mean, I think 
the the biggest thing is they just got to go best player available at 13. I think they need to throw a lot of focus into what kind of defenseman we want to draft in this draft. But, um, you know, as far as the selections go, first round. Well, just if, you were, if you were going to have to guess right now, who would who would you think they take? I think they. I think that they walk walk away. Um, with um, one of these European defensemen, uh, I, I can They might have a suite on their roster for the first time since they traded. I mean, I would, I, I would love for it to be Philip Broberg. Uh, that would, I mean, if I had to make a pick right now, Philip Broberg or Vilja Hanola, one or the other. Um, and you'd be okay with Kaliev, even though the cynic in me. I would says, definitely be okay. Yeah, I mean, because he was born in Delray Beach. I mean, I'd be fine with that because I, I think he's going to go. You know seventh or, or eighth or, i mean like or, as, as i said like so. that like that's you the know, one best, get best player is. available because if you get you know arthur kaliev to me is a better owen tippet and that would allow you to move Owen tippet who's closer to nhl ready in a trade deal uh to get a defenseman that's closer to nhl ready and help your team now uh, and you backfilled it with somebody who's going to fill the net just as much as owen tippet did and maybe play make and do some other things um but also still has similar flaws mm-hmm. uh, so would it be too you know like florida has a lot of options and the fact that they showed that they were willing to quickly and ad- accurately address the coaching need and, and pony up the money i'm hoping that they'll be able to quickly and ad- accurately address the defensive need um and quickly the fact and ad- that it's already been mentioned out there leads yeah. me to believe that they're obviously going to do something they're something's happening with the d I, we don't know what it is but i mean they've they, they sometimes telegraph what they're going to do even if they don't tell you exactly how they're going to do it but the fact is i mean fridge mentioned it jeff merrick mentioned it george richards mentioned it it's all i need to say they're going to go out and get somebody yeah you, but you i'm not like happen. I'm not like super like excited about a lot of forwards in the first round though. Like it, you know, um, you know, past like the top 10 and stuff like Ryan Suzuki is, you know, I, I had him ranked pretty high, I think um, post world juniors and stuff. But, you know, I think that was as I'm getting more comfortable with the draft class and I'm getting closer to the draft um, and, I kind of just make more harsher decisions on players. Like it's just not exciting. It's, it's, it's a prospect that I expect to find in the NHL draft and, and they kind of fall through like another four that maybe um, getting at 13 would be Raphael Lavoie from Halifax. Lavoie. That would maybe be another. Um, well, we better get used to Quebecois well, pronunciations because the number one pick in 2020 is going to be a, a Quebecois. So yeah. Um, how yeah, many I'll, times I'll try. Are we gonna screw that name up in the next year. Uh, what name? Alexi yeah. Lafreniere. Oh, I I think I can get that one. It's it's the ones where it kind of ends with. Uh, well, eventually, when Shane Wright's drafted, even you can't screw that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you he's gonna get drafted in like the third round or something. Oh, God. Well, the, well, the last guy was Sean Day, who was an exceptional pick, and he was a third round pick. So there you go. I mean, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't look too bad. Well, whatever the case may be. Oh, let's quickly do playoff. Big. Let's quickly do playoff talk before we before we wrap it up because this is another why hockey long one. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Lightning. There is so much Pep Guardiola and John Cooper in that Lightning team. I don't know if that reference is too obscure for some of the why hockey audience, but the Lightning to me sometimes think like they are Pep Guardiola at Barca, at City, at Bayern Munich, 
where they can shut off and not play because they know at some point we're better than you and if we turn it on and there's no reason to suggest that they won't then we're going to steamroll you and that's what happened in the, in game 1 they went up 3 nothing they looked so good and then they shut off they just powered down and said you know what we've got this one and the blue jackets fought back and the and the lightning couldn't turn it back on again I've seen Pep Guardiola teams that happen to them. And Pep Guardiola is one of the best coaches in the recent history of, of soccer. But that's that's the best comparison that I can make. And, well, it, it killed the Lightning. So, let's see what happens now in, now that they've woken up. I, I mean, Columbus played well towards the end of the game. Don't get me wrong. And that, and that team on its roster isn't that bad. But the, that was, to me, almost 100% on the Lightning. Like, they, they just shut down. I know they've got issues, but a lot of teams could have come back against the Lightning playing like that. I'm just going to say it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I think there's a little more to it than just that. I mean, I think a, a lot has to go to Columbus and the fact that they are very good at using negative emotion, harnessing it, and turning it into positive emotion, so much so that even a team as good as Tampa is kind of put on their, their back heels and, and don't really know how to respond. And I think that's kind of the pep, um, pepish uh, well, kind pep, of quality the, they have. The thing that, is, that is, you know, when you got a guy like Ryan McDonough and Dan Girardi on the ice and all of a sudden the play is coming to them, what do they do? They go back to the New York Ranger days of let's just <laughs> collapse, 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 I guess. Yeah. Well, also, there's something else about a Pep Guardiola team that is very interesting that I see a little bit of in the Lightning, and that's when they take too many penalties, is that when Pep Guardiola teams don't get what they want, they get chippy and they get a little dirty. Yeah, and yeah I mean, I think that, I'm not that's the definitely true. like that, but they take a lot of penalties. No, I think, you can I think that's... Them easily. I think that's very true, and, and probably why I think Columbus can can do that harnessing of emotional energy that negative energy and, and pushing it onto the other team and, and kind of keeping it there um is because they have a uh, they kind of live and die by the tortorella emotional energy where lightning that's a distraction for them they live and die on talent uh, on they live and die on the system and on the structure yeah. and when it breaks down they're not You'd think they'd be a great freestyling team, but they're not as good, you know, just playing shinny as you'd think. Right, and and what is another team that was very much like that in the playoffs, and that was Pittsburgh, and and sometimes still is, but less less, less now so than now. back less then. So but they, they used to. Miles, but they were a lot more. Yeah, like but they. they but yeah, they they had issues where you know if things didn't go their way, they'd start to get chippy, and once things get chippy. It becomes an emotional game, and they're not really good when I it does. A lot of people mention that. Emotions. Maybe it's just because I'm a soccer nerd, and I just watched Tottenham beat Manchester yeah. City, and that kind of happened in the Champions League. And yeah. I get the sense that that game, just in, in a sense, was just like Pep saying, "You know what? You can do what you want. Expend your energy. We can name our score when we go home." But the Lightning, in many ways, are like that. Like if they wanted to name their score, they could. They can win by anything they want to when they're playing at their best. But sometimes. When it doesn't go their way and they shut down, they don't play the way that they should. And that is that is a problem with a team that's that good, is that they sometimes think they can win based on, you know, oh, we're who we are. And in the playoffs, you can't do that. Now, the thing is, I think that will wake them up. 
But I, I will say this, that there were at least a few saves that Bobrovsky made. I mean, After granted, he did give them... He was garbage. He did he, make good well, saves the first, in the third period. The, the first goal he gave up really wasn't so much his fault, no, but yeah, he was he was bad around that goal. The goal wasn't his fault, but he almost gave up the a few goals. The second goal, there was the play that Nudevara had to clear out of but, the crease. There were problems, but then he settled in, and I think... The but, like, it's not, it's, not, it's not out of, you know... He still won Tampa definitely had Tampa had the ability to win that game on talent alone, and Bobrovsky had to stop them from doing that. Um, so Got to give yeah. so I, I definitely give credit to Bob other, there. Other things, um, I don't here. here I want to say uh, I didn't think the Sharks were going to play like that. I mean, they I think out and they looked angry because I think a lot of people said, you know, Martin Jones is crap. The Sharks can't win, and everybody loves the Golden Knights. But how long does that last? I mean, that's that's great for the first last. round. I think the Vegas in seven to win that series, and I you I, don't but you needed to see the Sharks play like that because they don't like that in a month. And, yeah, you know, but you, Eric Carlson you, looked it's, really it's good. It's about it's about peaking, and and you don't want to come out the gate. Uh, I'm not saying you know come out the gate too hot or anything like that. Well, but Vegas if, can afford to lose a game in the if, Shark Tank if, like that. If, if San Jose, if San Jose is you know making these making this off energy um they're gonna they're gonna need to outplay him too uh because I, well, they did last night this is gonna be a long long I series but i i, I you know anything between i i think nikita gusev coming in is gonna make that like oh my god i'm not i'm not that see i've always kind of been i'm not a huge fan of the knights team and and i think on well, paper san jose you have something about gerard gallant that his team's I don't know what it was because when the Panthers were playing really well under Gallant, they were good, but there was always something missing, right? There was something about that team that's like, why can't they turn all of this good into winning? You know what I mean? We saw that against the Capitals in many ways in the, in the Stanley Cup final last year where they were doing good things and they couldn't turn it into winning. You know what I mean? Like, in many ways, the Gerard Gallant team allows itself to lose by puck luck. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and right now, I mean, I think it's that too early they... to say in the series, but that's a, a something that you notice. Um, I also want to say, like, you know, if if the NHL is fast and wide open, and now currently a track meet, um, the Dallas Stars put a wet blanket over you. There is no team that plays like they do defensively. They just suck the life out of you, and if yeah. they get two goals, it's over. <laughs> that's that's what I like about them, to be honest with you. And they are kind of different, and it works. I I I hate wide open just track meet hockey. I think it's Shame. if you want that we can just watch the NBA. Um No, you know, well, well, depends on I, I mean that's it's up and if you just want to watch up and down up and down if you want to, you know, you know, but if you want to watch plays develop, if you want to watch like matchups and, and that kind of stuff. It's Like that's actually it's, it's coaching and I and I'm okay I'm okay with track meet hockey during the regular season and stuff. But when I I want I'm not saying I want Claude Lemieux you know fighting Panthers break out and like winning three series of yeah, kicks over teams and, that are really better than them. I want I you know I want tactical I just want hockey. good tactical hockey where um, it's it's a little bit of reading and adjustment and um, that star team is just, good at that. You know, chess, that chess team is really good at that. Yeah, and I'd like to see Florida get that good. Their stars um, definitely a team I'm I think can have an upset in the oh, first I, round. I think a lot of people thought. And that. I think if if I'm honest, 
I if the Avs were a better team, it'd be a much easier upset to call because I think the Flames um, definitely have some holes, uh, and and if Mike Smith and and Redich don't don't get the job done, it could be over. No. I'm no. interested in that series. I'm um, also I I the other thing. I mean, Winnipeg last night got the goal early, and then nothing. Are you stunned that Craig Berube's team is as tactically disciplined and as good structurally as they are? This is like when I said second team, second time you get no. a coaching job, you're better. No, he was not well, Flyers. This People... is not Craig Berube. I mean, I think we're looking at a team that has been that was for years drilled and drilled and drilled with structure, with system, with how to play the game a certain way in a playoff way, and you know I think it what Barubi is bringing to that team is a confidence is a support is a, a voice that, that they're responding to right now. Um, but I, I think, you know, it, it's not surprising to me that Ryan O'Reilly is doing so well on a team that's system based. Um, it's not so surprising to me that St. Louis is so structured um, and is kind of proving people wrong because when they do get into the playoffs, even dating back to McGinnis and Pronger era, that's kind of their mentality. That was kind of who they are. They were a very technical, um, lunch pair, lunch pale, blue collar type team um, that definitely outsmarted you, uh, out hustled you, and, and made you work through the middle of the ice. And they did that against the Jets. That's another long series. I, I, I yeah. think Louis and that, that. that's where the Jets struggle is through the middle of the ice. I mean, Mark Scheifele is very good, but Boy, um, he has you been know, playing really badly lately. They're yeah, they just do not. They get over the blue line, and as soon as they do, they flank to the outside, uh, and they need to they need to fight that, especially against um, a team like St. Louis, who. I really want to test Jordan Bennington or I really want to make him feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable because he hasn't really his whole career. And, the Blues um, and it would be nice a team that just sits in front of you and says, beat him and you can't and nobody's been able to. Yeah. yeah but you know, I, I think Baruby's kind of when Baruby was a coach in Philadelphia, he was trying to be a, a head coach that was, you know, a tactician, a strategist. He was trying to kind of do what he's not. But I think with what he's doing in St. Louis is he's kind of being more the coach that he was when he was a player. He's, you know, he's a player's coach. He's getting them up. He's he's supporting them. I mean, when he was in the NHL, his job was, you know, make sure guys felt comfortable, make sure guys were able to focus on what they needed to focus on and not take care of the and not the other stuff and i think that's what he's trying to do now just so you know because they have good forwards and the issue was they just weren't getting anything out of them and with peruby they can't much but defensively they're in in better shape uh the, the islanders penguins game was fun i i think the penguins didn't play particularly well the islanders even then still needed robin laner to save them I mean, I still think the Penguins, as the series go is on, is going to get better and better, and will probably win because yeah. at some point you just you 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 beat that that is beatable because like that felt a lot like how the Panthers lost to the Islanders like they were not playing at their absolute best, but even then it still felt like the Islanders needed a goalie to save them. 
And that, to me, lets me know that I think the Penguins are going to win uh, the series. Although, boy, poor Nick Bustad has been really bad with the Penguins. I feel bad for him. I, I mean, I don't... I think it's... It's really easy just to be like, oh, he's not putting out points, or oh, he's doing well, it, and I don't he's think bad. Even if, even if you look at some of the other numbers, it's gone that particularly well for him. But, I mean... McCann's do we look at numbers for this? I mean, yeah, and then the you'll, you'll it's going to look so much worse because you know McCann's doing so much better. But they've also put McCann in different spots yeah. and put you know move Bugstead around more. Seems like what's happened in Florida when they just but I mean that's kind of his role. He's when he was traded for, they brought him in and they said, listen, you are going to be this guy who moves up and down the lineup, who plays this role, then switches into that role, who does this, then moves into that, because that's what we need right now on this run. Um, and it wasn't – they didn't tell him he needed to put up points or anything like that. I mean, that's kind of how they've done it. They said they want Jared McCann to do this. And, you know, if I was a coach, I'd probably say the same thing because that's where Bukeside is in his career and McCann's in a different spot and they have, you know – there's nothing Does wrong with Penguins win that series because I, I still do. Yeah, I, I do. I don't know how long they go, but I think they they definitely win that series. But I'm not too worried about Bugstad, and I think you know as what far as value playoffs. in that trade, Jared it was Kane's always in the playoffs. That's what. That's yeah, that's what happened for them. You know, and and I think Bugstad uh, is going to do much better after a training camp. And yeah, uh, I, it takes a while. I mean, the Penguins always find guys who end up just being good. And it's not just Jake Gensel. It's it's other. Uh, it's like, Erica Branson. It's... Erica Branson's been not completely awful. Yeah, I mean, because he's not. Again, it's it just goes to show you that there's guys. You know, obviously Erica Branson's not a third overall defenseman, but he's also can be an NHL level defenseman, given the right usage. The right, you know, like the right team. And if there's any team in the NHL that could figure out how to use bad defensemen and make them not terrible, it's the Penguins. They always find a way to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's just because they. That's what they play. Do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about the infrastructure, and with Sullivan, at least they're they do whatever it can they can to not have the puck in the D zone, um, and if you can make it work the way they do with a lot of chips with a lot of tosses and things like that use their speed to get out of the zone yeah i mean if you can do they can do it with chaos they that's why it works for them because even if they can't do a control under control getting pucks out quick they can do it in chaos and you know know, florida can't even do it slow motion that is that is a structure that works chaos is is a thing you can use and and they use it well uh two other series um leafs bruins i mean part of me wants the, the I'm, win, I'm rooting for to. chaos. Speaking of chaos, well, that's the series I'm rooting for chaos. Chaos incarnate. It's just going to be they're going to yeah. kill each other. Now, and part yeah. of me is like, I, I obviously we we know somebody who works well who worked closely with Kyle Dubas, and I obviously I like what he's done. Um, I hope the Leafs are competitive in this series, but the Bruins are. I mean, again, you can beat them. The Panthers have beaten them. And it's it's not as hard as you think to beat them, but I mean I I wonder if the Leafs are hardwired to do it, and that psychological thing's got to be in their heads too. Maybe not Tavares, but it's everybody else. And I just I want to see if they can if they can do that because at a point they have to, like they can't continue to be stuck at this spot, you know. And uh, I I mean 
I, I picked Boston in seven. I still think that's what's going to happen. But and, and for Carolina, I think this is one of those rare occasions where you are actually happy to just be in the playoffs. And I don't know if they're going to get steamrolled. But, I mean, I think that they're not going to win. I mean, there's a reason why the Carolina Hurricanes always put up great puck possession numbers but never seem to overperform it. They always underperform it, and that might be it. The Capitals always underperform all their numbers because they've got elite talent, so they can do that. And the Hurricanes always, you know, the, the Capitals overperform and the Hurricanes underperform. I got that wrong. But, you know, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, I, I don't think the Carolina Hurricanes are going to do much, but it's going to be nice to see them have playoff games. If they win, you better do a damn storm surge. You better do I, a damn storm surge if you win. I, I like know. Carolina. I think they have a decent shot. And oh, they do. They do. And the Capitals, while the they series. always win first-round series, they never make it easy. They're always difficult. I think I think Capitals lose this one. Um, no, I don't. Yeah. I, don't. I, 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 think, I think a lot of the team just isn't there this year. Not Ovechkin. Uh, Ovechkin's obviously 51 goals. He's He showed up the way he needs to. But, um, yeah, uh, I think that – you know, it's just going to be a tough year for Washington in the playoffs, and that it's going to be Carolina's benefit. Um, well, I want to see how this game one plays out because it, there is something about a team that has legit never been there before. I mean, when your biggest playoff experience comes from Justin Williams, I mean, he's there, but also Dougie Hamilton. Like, don't don't discount confidence. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and that... yeah, and don't discount Rod Brindamore's nose. Uh, like those are two yeah, things you yeah, can always I uh, I believe in. I, well, so who do you have in your cup final as we end this uh, another? My cup show? final? Yeah, I had um, Vegas and Tampa. I mean, I think it's definitely Tampa. Um, I from don't the think East. That losing that game one is going to really hurt them that much. It gives them a wake up call. I have. I think. I think it very much could be the winner of the Sharks Night series. Um, I mean, if you're gonna think of somebody, I don't think Dallas. it's Nashville. I don't think it's no, Nashville. I don't I, think it's I, Dallas. I don't think it's Calgary, and I don't think it's Colorado. So it's you know, it's St. Louis or the winner of that series. I think. Yeah. I mean, I could see it being I could see it being Dallas because of the way that they play. Uh, until I, they I think they can. I think they can be spoilers and Cinderellas, but I don't think that they go I think all the way through. A better version of the stars is basically how. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yep. I had the Blues um, going to the conference final and losing to Vegas, is how I have it. I would. I would probably say. I don't want to. Yeah, like it, it sucks. I really want to just say like stars versus canes or something cool. Something like really that. terrible. But it, you know, it's like a lightning, lightning Vegas, lightning sharks. I mean, if I predicted San Jose Tampa before the season, if it wasn't for Martin Jones, I would have picked it again. I picked Vegas Tampa. Yeah, I mean, I think that Vegas is going to get there because they're just you know they're. they're the it's. Fu- I mean, it's speaking of teams that need that could use goalie. I mean, I could see. Like there's two teams in the playoffs this year that three teams in the playoffs well, this Calgary, year that could Santa Calgary, Jose, Carolina, and San Jose well, could just have spectacularly. The other two will. I think. I mean, well, we'll see how Tom Dundon does uh, well, with his. Shut down a league, perhaps for a gambling app. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, there's just a lot of issues, uh, a lot of to talk about Tom Dundon. Well, I mean, um, but another, maybe, oh, maybe also did on. also can we can we say something? Did did Tom Dundon shame Vinny Viola in the spending money on a in a hockey franchise? Did like the Vegas Golden Knights and Tom Dundon, like the combination of that, like shame 
Vinny Viola into just like, all right, well, we have, we have to spend money now. Theory, and I'd love to prove it. Yeah, I mean, because, I definitely I mean, like, think if Tom Dundon. If the Tom Dundon-led Hurricanes are making the playoffs, and your team isn't, I mean, I don't even think it's Vegas. I think it, it might more be Tom, more Tom Dundon, because you know he comes in and does all this stuff. That's throws really money or loses 70, 70 million uh, in six weeks in some stupid football league. You know, yeah. like and 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 you know they got the popular storm surge and stuff. I feel like it's definitely something well, that hey, could get pride get his than, competitive you know, juices going. That, I, mean, I, 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 again, because the one thing you might have to say is, as though they might, these, these guys, these owners, they might be, you know, who they are. You know, they are competitive mfers. Yeah, and, I, obviously that's one thing that's good to play on and and good good to have it, 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 as owners of the sports team is someone that's effing competitive and wants as you to said. And, and wants to win, but you can channel yeah. that properly. So anyway, you know. The PTP podcast was two hours, but that was completely chaos. This was structured chaos, and it still went two hours. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Well, that's well. You know what? There was good discussion in here. It was a different discussion than what we had in the other show. So, if you have an entire day, or you are stuck in the worst traffic jam in the whole of human history, you can listen to both of these podcasts. Yeah. Or, and... or alternatively, when one of the games tonight is a complete and total blowout, hey. You've got time to listen to it. Uh, and we'll, we'll be back during the playoffs. If the Panthers end up making moves, we'll, we'll end up doing it. And I think, what did you have? We have got some plans for guests, I think. I yeah, we probably will. Yeah, and that's what you want to say. And we'll definitely try to do our best for those. But, uh, yeah, there you go. So that's a Y Hockey crossover podcast and a traditional Y Hockey podcast. And it all sounds good. And, it's, yeah. and Tommy Krulikowski is not angry at hockey. I think that's Until... the most important lesson. Well, until the season, until the playoffs end, the only thing I want to hear out of Florida Panthers' mouth, I don't hear anything about coaches. I don't want to hear anything about who's going to be on the third line or who's going to be on the fourth line or, you know, this person should be a scratch or this defenseman. What defenseman can we target and who can we draft? That's the only thing to really worry about. Goalies shake itself out. Panarin or Hoffman, that'll shake itself out. And, you know, we got the coaches. That's all going to shake itself out. The system's going to shake itself out. It's just what 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 D do we like? What D what what D can we talk about uh, heading into the off season? And I, who, who 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 can we draft? We're doing it, and we spent a lot of time on the other show. Yeah. So listen to them both. And I want to end this now before it gets even crazier, and you can't listen to both of those shows. Bye. Adieu.